Let's get it going. It's time to get up. First and goal at the eight. Ben stays empty. Baltimore shows blitz. Ben back. Pops. Throws for the end zone. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. And on the out cut to the right is Chase Claypool. These guys are here to break it all down. Russ looks. Throws back inside. Ball is caught. It's Metcalf. Who makes one man now? Two men miss. 30, 25, 20. Turns up field. They don't touch him. Touchdown, Seahawks. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. It's hard to get any word in with this clown. This is the starting lineup with James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. Hey, Rise Shine, everybody. It is Monday, November 2nd. Yeah, November's here. All that stash glory. If there was ever a time to grow an awful duster, this is the year in the midst of a global pandemic where nobody's shaving, Pear. Nobody's shaving. See, I went through that phase in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Been pretty good, pretty good recently uh, with what's going on. Actually, it's funny you mentioned shaving. We are uh, coming near the end of our big bathroom renovation. So now it's it's going to be the nicest uh, nicest room in the house. I have to sleep there. My wife tells me, oh, and I've, I've ordered these bottles. One will say shampoo. One will, It's going to be fantastic, right? And she goes, and by the way, you can never shave in the shower again. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, no, no, it's too nice. You can't shave in the shower. Really excellent. <laughs> excellent. Thank you for letting me know. <laughs> like, Yeah, you're just taking everything away from me now. So... I don't know. You going with the dust dry? I, 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 I've never been able to rock the mustache. The full-on beard, that was new for me. That was a new height. But November is such an important month. You're going full-on duster? I've got a handlebar stash that is underway oh. to which everybody just shook their head in the house when they saw me pivot after a few days' growth prior. And, uh, yeah, there's the, uh, the imagery of a, a nice Fu Manchu is on display here. On the 2nd of November. Well it's done. on, buddy. It's on. Uh, how you doing, everybody? I'm James Sobolski. He's Perry Solkowski. Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass, hanging out with you until 9 o'clock this morning here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. A lot to get to here over the next uh, three hours here on uh, on the starting lineup. Um, man, a lot going down over the weekend. We're going to talk to Stephen Brunt in just a couple of minutes as well. Um, Bobby Orr, as we were rolling into the weekend, certainly uh, sharing his politics, much to the chagrin of, I think, a lot of people on this side of the border. And I think a lot of people south of the border as well. He follows Jack Nicholas. Um, so we'll talk to Stephen a little bit about that. Plus, not to mention, you know, a lot of talk about the Western Hockey League coming back to play here in the new year in January. The OHL kind of got a kick in the A-double crooked letter when the Minister of Sport in the province of Ontario said, guess what? You can't hit in junior hockey. How does that impact so many draft stocks, um, you know, for kids that might have a physical game or play that style? And, and what does junior hockey look like with no contact? So we'll talk to Stephen about that coming up uh, in just a few minutes. Natea Jay, our Monday morning quarterback from the All Ball podcast, will join us just after 7 o'clock, the CFL receiver. And, uh, hey, there's a million dollars up for grabs tonight in a 50-50 lottery, courtesy of uh, the Vancouver Canucks and uh, the Canucks Autism Network. So you want to get paid. Tonight could be the night to do it. Plus, uh, Sean Connery, man, the legend passing away, one of Canada's best golf writers, actually became besties with Sean Connery on a golf course. Yeah, we'll share that story as well. And Harmon Dale from The Athletic wrote a uh, fascinating piece on what could happen to Louis Erickson this year for the Vancouver Canucks. Does he get buried in the minors? Does he wind up being here? It's way more complicated than it seems based on the economics in a COVID world pair. 
Uh, well, it is with Louie, you know, the, the difference for him, you actually get paid more money because you don't have to deal with escrow um, if you end up going to the minors. Is, there's a, is there a minor to go to? Um, is there a taxi squad that will be around? A lot of questions still have to be answered. But, yeah, it was one of those weekends where uh, you just wondered. And, and, you know, and uh, another one story that happened in the last 48 hours, too, um, you know, was, was Mitchell Miller, the uh, young fourth-round draft pick, uh, you know, renounced the draft pick by Arizona last week at this time when news was coming out over the weekend. The University of North Dakota, where he was on a scholarship to play hockey, said, you know what, we're actually uh, – we don't want you on our hockey team. That being said, we will allow you and we will uh, fulfill the scholarship. You can stay at school. Um, and now rumors, he hasn't left, but there have been some KHL teams who have said, hey, you want to play pro hockey? Come on over here. Uh, so that has gone on too. So lot, lots of stuff that's gone on. You know, but the Louis Erickson, you just wonder. I mean, it's easy for us to say, hey, you know, you know what? You've got your money. You're going to leave a little bit of money on the table, but you maybe you can find that money over in Europe and not come here, not here, be humiliated. The one thing about Louis Erickson through all this, James, I don't know anybody who's got a read on him, right? He's just a very quiet, polite man. The only time he caused a wave was two years ago in Sweden when he kind of said to the fact that he doesn't know if he's on the same page as his coach. That didn't go over well, but it wasn't in North America. You wonder if things could have been lost in translation. But tell me another time when Louis Erickson has ruffled any feathers here. No, he's just ruffled Canucks Twitter and the Canucks fan base for a lack of productivity with a $6 million AAV for the last four years, and there's two more years left. But, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's what he looks like. The, 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 the tricky part is the fact that if Louis goes to the minors, it effectively costs the Canucks more in actual real dollars for this upcoming season because Louis will save on the escrow. He saves on the fact of a 10% uh, salary deferral. So it actually will cost the Canucks almost 30% more in actual dollars uh, if Louis goes. So, you know, you're talking about a potential of, you know, $2 million if, you know, Louis in the minors, not to mention maybe another player who takes his spot makes that jump from the minors. Uh, you know, as an example, as Harmon kind of laid out here in this article over the weekend, you know, if Cole Lynn makes the team, you know, Cole Lynn's making a little over nine hundred thousand dollars in the year. If he, if Cole Lynn's in the in the minors, he's making seventy k, right? And you know, mm-hmm. it's it's the same other thing with, um, you know, and it's the same as as you know, Louis doesn't have to pay expert, escrow, right? So there's another twenty yeah. percent in savings. So it's what that cost actually looks like. So you know, and, and is there a taxi squad? That's a whole other thing as well. Um, six minutes after six o'clock here on this uh, Monday morning. Like I mentioned, uh, a lot to get to. Plus, we're a little over a day away from the uh, election in the United States and just listening to a podcast over the weekend from the New York Times talking about how, man, like gun sales are going through the roof and it's people from both the Democratic side and the Republican side. Everybody's buying a gun for this day, it seems like right now. So that's no reason to be a little uncomfortable at all. But nevertheless, uh, a lot of uh, stars and athletes uh, have kind of been making their uh, plea for people to get out and vote and support the one that they've kind of backed in the hunt. And joining us here on the line is uh, Sportsnet.ca's uh, columnist and contributor from the writer's block as well, Mr. Stephen Brunt. Stephen, how are you, sir? I'm very well. How are you doing, man? I'm good. You know, you wrote, um, I mean, there's so many different layers we could kind of jump into here over the weekend, but I, I guess the one that kind of starts for me is um, you wrote a great book on Bobby Orr, and man, there is such mystique about Bobby because for so long he kind of stayed away from the spotlight. And then, like, my dad's superhero, man, number four. Like, my dad, when he turned 60, I got him a signed Bobby Orr jersey. 
And here we are today, a little over 10 years after that, and talking about Bobby Orr with a big thumbs up and a full page ad over the weekend supporting Donald Trump. And, um, like what what's your what's your reaction to this as somebody who kind of really did a lot of homework on Bobby or wrote a book for that matter on Bobby yeah well yeah I, I did and thanks for thanks for mentioning the book but um yeah I was really surprised not so that's an understatement not because he's supporting your Trump or or you know had or wouldn't support Trump or like I had a political opinion it was more that you know going out on a limb um publicly about anything because you know, if you, 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 the one thing Bobby Orr that's consistent about Bobby Orr going all the way back to, you know, really his early days with the Bruins, you know, in the night, early 1960s, is that, you know, he was uncomfortable in the spotlight. He, he managed his image very, very carefully, even at a time when we didn't talk about kind of, you know, brands and stuff, but, um, he doled out access, uh, grudgingly to anybody, um, and did everything he could to not be controversial and that you know that has extended you know all the way through to now for you know a guy who's more than 70 years old like it um that's that's bobby Orr. he doesn't do a lot of interviews or does very few when he does they tend to be very surfacey and you know kind of smiling and patting guys on the back and talking about the old days but there's not you know and even stuff that was in his own life like the you know like his split from Al Eagleson, you know uh, he never talked about that publicly. So yeah, for him to stake out a political position in one of the most contentious elections, the most contentious election of our lifetime, yeah, um, is you know I'll tell you I I will note one thing that a lot of other people have noted or some other people have noted as well. If you know there were two kind of Trump endorsements that kind of followed the same pattern over the last week. One was from, from Jack Nicholas, one was from Orr. They they read very similarly. You know, they almost feel like they were written by the same person. Um so like I'm not saying it's not real, but and that photograph is definitely real. Well it's the Twitter, but, right? Uh, it's the it's the you may not like what he says on Twitter and it's a little much and I tell him that, but yes. dot dot dot. Yeah. I the I tell him yeah it just seemed a little bit like somebody in the Trump campaign you know slightly changed those but um, you know crank and and but you know they would have had to have been rubber stamped by Jack Nicholas and Bobby Orr even if that's the case I'll tell you like the, among the amazing things there um, is that there's a picture of his wife you know Peggy Orr is in that photo with Trump I I can tell you this from experience there are almost no pictures of his wife in existence like no media no news photos no nothing that's how private the guy's been so that's the so it's not just him it's his wife giving the big thumbs up it yeah it's all crazily out of character and but it, it's interesting how you know you mentioned you know he's your dad's hero a lot of guys in my generation he's you know he's kind of pristine right he comes from a time before everything got you know, in some people's minds, kind of, you know, turned, took a turn for the worse. The love of the game. And, yeah. Yeah. And, but the reverberations since that came out, like the kind of people having their hearts broken. Um, it's, it's interesting just how emotional it's been for a lot of people that seeing that and hearing that and saying, no, not him, not, not Bobby. Even though, as I said, they don't know Bobby because Bobby didn't let anybody know Bobby. So it's kind of the imagined Bobby that they're upset about. 
It's uh, Stephen. When is it? You wrote a book on Ali too. Well, you want politics. Muhammad Ali was your poster boy mm. for that. But you you think of war. I'm, I'm thinking of Gretzky, of Mario. You never really got into politics yet. Now here in 2020, you know most of the athletes welcome using their stage. When did it change slowly? Because that's right, Bobby coming out shattered an awful lot of people's dreams on Friday. Going, really? And then they have to decide, okay, how do we divide this? Really, politically, he can have his view. He's still number four. I still love him. But was there a time where you think where someone kind of pushed it and said, okay, it'll it'll be okay to talk politics? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if you know, anybody. I, th- I think over the years there have been select athletes who have chosen to you know use their platform to express a political opinion. Right? It's it's you know maybe increasingly so. Um, you know, like Ali's an extreme, but if you think of the guys who stood with Ali back in the '60s, you know guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. You know, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't just Ali, and uh, it, I, I you know I think we've seen you know very strong examples over the last few months of athletes feeling compelled to stand up at a time of I say tremendous unrest and and use their position and their their uh, visibility and then their platform right to to say stuff um but almost all of them would be on the other side and I you know maybe that's the maybe that's the uh the the somewhat shocking part but look Bobby Orr is a guy who has lived in the United States for decades and decades um he is is wealthy and comfortable um if you kind of think of him demographically you know a 70 plus year old very comfortable uh caucasian living in the united states it's not particularly shocking that someone of that demographic would support donald trump you know i think that would that would describe a whole bunch of people supporting donald trump mm-hmm. yeah no a hundred percent i this might be a very naive question on my part but and we're going to get into this a little more coming up at the bottom of the hour. But I, I also, but I wonder this, Stephen. Like, you know, we've seen how political and how involved a lot of athletes have become over this year. And now, in the last week, here's the Golden Bear and Bobby Orr, two iconic athletes, two guys that you can make a legitimate case for being the goats in their respective sports. And they come out and mm-hmm. they support Donald Trump. And like people are talking about canceling these guys now. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, it's like we saw Ryan Kessler a few months ago, come out and kind of support Trump on social media. And like, I don't think we've heard from Ryan Kessler since like he kind of just went away. Right. And, and I wonder like why you know obviously Trump got elected he's got millions of followers but it's almost like you could face job loss if you support Trump uh at a time like this why why are we so upset is it just the divisiveness that Donald brings well i think it's cuz he's chosen to you know stand with nazis you know like yeah. I, I think that like that's not just politics my friend yeah you know when when you you refuse to disavow white supremacists when you talk about both good people on both sides like this is not just about tax policy, mm-hmm. so I think that's why. You know, if, if like the the election, in, you know, the American election four years ago was divisive as well. But if you go back a bit further, um, you know, we're mostly talking about policy issues, same as we would in a Canadian election of the next, you know, the mm-hmm. previous or next Canadian federal election. But th- this is the stakes seem higher here, and I I think that that's you know why it strikes such a strong chord that. People, the, when people step up and support somebody who, you know, a lot of people believe is a racist, you know, among other things, um, that's not that's not about you know healthcare, 
it's about more than that and i and i think that's why um and look if 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 somebody stands with with trump uh and chooses to make that i think people should feel free to pass judgment like that's up to you like how you feel about that it's not uh you know i, I this kind of cancel culture stuff come on like it's it, like I, I feel differently about somebody if they. I would feel differently about somebody if they made that public proclamation about this guy. That just was like our I, first you know, reaction. Like I, yeah. yeah, yeah. But just like I, you know, like just like I would if they, you know, revealed themselves to be, uh, you know, Holocaust deniers. Like it changes your opinion of someone, and <laughs> right, like it changes your opinion of someone. That's legit. That's. I would hope that you know people form an opinion based on somebody taking a stand like this. Well, but then Dana White apparently just today digitally just did a three-minute rant that Trent's the guy. Uh, but you just go, well, you know, Dana White was working. You know, that doesn't surprise you. I guess the effect, and did you see it more with Orr? Because I had texts from buddies who grew up, like James said, just, ugh, man, when your hero does this, it just, it just absolutely stinks. Like, he just carried such a mystique. Is that why it was such big news? Because it's Bobby, and to your point, no one knows Bobby other than smiling, shaking hands, and he was the greatest, and if he only could have played longer. Surprising they yeah, came that's... up with this kind of move. Well, look, Dana White spoke at the Republican National Convention twice, yeah. right? So, like, his affiliation is, is well-known. Everybody should, you know, if you're paying attention, you know who Dana, you know, he's, he's Scott, you know, Scott Bio right <laughs> he's yeah. other people who have spoken at the Republican National Convention. That's, you kind of, we kind of know where he's coming from, and, um, you know, if you're trying to assess who Dana White is or isn't, that probably would factor into your assessment of who he is or isn't. But yeah, look, again, the shock with Orr is that Orr has never taken a stand on anything publicly, anything. Like he's he's studiously avoided, you know, be, becoming enmeshed in things, even things that he was, you know, deeply enmeshed in. Again, going back to the the you know the Alan Eagleson prosecution in Massachusetts, and, the, and that battle, like there were older hockey players, you know, Carl Brewer, number one, first among them, who became, who were the face of that, right? Um, and even though Orr, you know, had both the kind of a personal breakup with Eagleson, because, you know, they were intertwined in terms of their business interests, um, he was never the guy to put his face on that. Or, or Now, Russ Conway's book, you know, f famous book about Eagleson, everybody in the world believes that was fueled by Bobby Orr and that Bobby Orr, you know, was the guy who fed Russ Conway a lot of the information in it. They were very close. But it was never Bobby Orr standing up and saying this is wrong. Um, you know, he slipped in. The day Eagleson was sentenced in Massachusetts, I was one of the people in the courtroom that day, and Orr slipped in the back, sat in the back row for while it happened, and then slipped out before anybody could talk to him. So this is a guy who, again, even in moments when it was personal, and, you know, when a lot of people might have believed his cause was righteous, he wasn't willing to be that guy. And that goes, I say, that goes all the way back. And in, in just, you know, he's an intensely private guy. Um, so that him choosing this for the moment, yeah, it is surprising and shocking. It's surprising and shocking for a lot of people because of that. Yeah, he, you know, it's, it's funny there, right? He never, he never kind of... At a time, the entire hockey universe was crapping on Alan Eagleson. Like, Bobby was kind of the one guy who was kind of quiet about it the, the whole time. Stephen Brunt with us here this morning on Sportsnet 650. To change gears for a second, um, you had a fascinating conversation on Friday with the commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League, David Branch, um, that they kind of found out that, uh, yeah, they're not allowed to hit in, uh, in, in junior hockey. And... Um, 
You know, I think we've seen all the way the game has changed a lot uh, over the last 15 years as it is, but how how do they do this? And, and, and the other thing that kind of really stood out for me here, Stephen, was there was a strong hint from the OHL commissioner that they're going to look for funding from the provincial government, much like the Quebec Major Junior League. Mm-hmm. And he kind of hinted that the Western League's looking for maybe a potential handout as well. If you can't play with fans in the stands, what's the appetite for that? Well, it's we're you know the well. Let's start with that part first. I guess I I, I a lot of people, a lot of businesses are going to get bailed out. Right. If 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 they're going to survive, that's just reality. You know, the governments are forking out money left and right and uh, smaller, like the, the, the less wealthy junior hockey operators. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I have no idea how they can survive without even you know, they don't they, they don't they pay the players a pittance, which is why junior hockey can be really good business you know, yeah. for the owner. But uh, but I don't know how they're going to some of them are going to open their doors. So, they you know, they don't have any significant TV money and there's not any real ancillary revenue so it's just going to be money out and i i don't know how they're going to do it um so yeah they're going to be asking i guarantee you that the quebec teams have already received money from their provincial government um i think you're going to be hearing about that every, pretty much everywhere and if if they don't get it then there will be a pruning of the ranks of junior hockey there will be teams that don't get through this um like that's the only place money's going to come from I, you know the nhl they you know they branch basically dismissed the idea that the NHL would throw any more money into junior hockey. Mm-hmm. So, bar you know barring that, yes, they are going to be asking for government money. That you know the, the issue with the, the the body checking thing in Ontario specifically because it's the only place it's come up is you know it just seems kind of arbitrary. And you know it's like and again believe me I am not a denialist there at all when it comes to COVID, but um, I I think we're all kind of seeking clear cut information right granular the more granular the better tell me why tell me you know tell me which rules to follow tell me why why those rules are constructed i don't we'll all follow them and i just you know there are contact sports being played all over the world right now mm-hmm. you know to a greater a greater lesser degree of contact uh I, I i'm just not sure how a body check in hockey with guys wearing face screens is you know, is is more dangerous than like I'm thinking of things we can do in the province where I'm sitting right now. You know, you can go to a casino, uh, dance studios are open. Um, you know, there's all kinds of anomalies here, and I'm not sure why a body check is any more dangerous than guys fighting for the puck in the corner, which is going to happen. So, well, I, I, it's not about you know again, it's not kind of philosophically about you know what whether body checking is good or not, but I just don't see how you can. It's not ring at. You know, like even you know, women's hockey in in theory and women's hockey body checking is verboten, but there's lots of contact in women's hockey. So I just don't. I'm not sure how you can how you can do it. No, and I don't. You know, and I think the premiers in Ontario have said as much. Like, you know, okay, let's let's if the OHL is coming back, let's have the rules. I was at a at a under 17 soccer game on the weekend. There were more hits in that where I was kind yeah. of okay. This this is getting out of control. Going to see a yellow card or a red card, and that's because it was full. You know, full contact going hard with your shoulder. I don't know how arbitrarily they just said. You know, you know, one of the things with hockey from coming back, they can't hit each other. It just seems like it came out of nowhere from the health ministers. Hey, if you want it, this is how it's going to happen. Do you think? It'll, there's been a lot of pushback, has there not, Stephen? Yeah, well, I think there's just a lot of a lot of confusion uh, because you know a lot of people are saying, like, I, I'm, like I'm guessing the bus ride is more dangerous than a body check. Yeah, <laughs> like the yeah. those bus rides they spent. Like, think of the the hours they do in the dub. Like, think how Sadly, long some yes. of those bus rides are. Wow, you know, and in Ontario, there's ago. a few. 
Yeah. So, like, ex- well, yes, exactly. That you know that you know the the risks that we don't talk about. But yep. in, in the case of this, like confined quarters, you know, lack of circulation. Um, you know, I would think dressing rooms and bus rides would be the first two things that I'd be worried about before I would worry about the kind of fleeting contact on the ice. Um, you know, their plants. You know, soccer is not the same kind of contact game as hockey is, but you know, soccer is being played all over the world at all levels right now, and there is contact. And I, again, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to to have every bit of evidence in front of me, but I don't recall any stories about the virus being spread in that in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Nice to catch up with you, sir. I mean, I feel like we really just scratched the surface on so much of this. Uh, it's a fascinating time, fascinating weekend, and, and it's amazing. Like, we've got so many people texting in already at 650-650 saying, stick to sports, stick to sports, guys. It's like, how do you how do you stick to sports when this is all kind of interwoven these days? Right, Stephen? Uh, yeah, look, I uh, that's look if people want to stick to sports that's fine if you want to you know pull the covers over your head that's fine too we all need our fantasies and we all need our release and escape i get it but occasionally you know occasionally the the real world's gonna you know crack that bubble it just yeah. it just is i hear you you stay safe out there and uh, nice to reconnect sir all right take it easy all right there he Thanks, is steven brunt our uh, our colleague uh from the writer's block on our sister station, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and also uh, one of the best there is when it comes to uh, putting pen to paper um, in this country on sportsnet.ca. 25 minutes after 6 o'clock, 650-650 is our text line. Always uh, love to hear from you, even when you want to kick us in the ass. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll also uh, dive in a little more about what Perry was alluding to, uh, Mitchell Miller losing his scholarship at the University of North Dakota. And That's Seahawks. Sports, James. James, that's not sports. <laughs> Russ can Don't still talk cook. About Justin Turner, he's back yeah. in LA. That's not sports. Uh, Ru- Russ is cooking again. I guess cooking is, is culinary is not technically sports. I guess we'll we'll stay away from that as well. And well, we've got about uh, we got a couple minutes to figure out what the HE double hockey sticks will talk about next, right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 631 here on this uh, brisk but should be spectacular Monday morning. What a weekend that we had. Sabolski, Solkowski kicking it with you. I don't think you could have asked for a better weekend to close out October and kick off November than the one we had. Beautiful day. Everybody out uh, along the uh, along the beach there yesterday. It's sunny skies, and we're looking at another great day today. Sunny and a high of 13. Halloween, man. I gotta say this, pair in our neighborhood. You know, I think there was a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people and wondering, you know, how do you do this and can you pull this off? And Dr. Bonnie never really canceled it. And I'll tell you, like from our own neighborhood here, it was awesome. You know, we for I, I I created a little candy slide to kind of just to provide a little bit of social distancing outside, and so took an old piece of flooring and um, connected to a ladder and had the candy bowl and used the tongs and then dropped it down the slide for kids to uh, kind of catch into their trick or treat bags and. We probably had about uh, 50 kids that came by over the course. And, and the one the one recurring comment I constantly heard from parents who, you know, people kept their bubbles small, right? They kind of just stayed with just their family or it was maybe just one, you know, two families together. But the one recurring theme I constantly heard from Saturday night was 
this is the most fun I've had in this neighborhood in a long time. There's a good energy here, and, and I think it was just kind of family first this year. Well, and I think that's great. And I, and I think for the most part, um, you know, it sounded like you guys were really responsible through social media. Man, I saw a picture. I think it might have been the U.S., but someone dressed up their kid as a coronavirus, which I thought, man, that is top-level comedy. I know dark comedy, but um, but there were some amazing slides and contraptions that people had. So I, I'm great that, and thankful that you and the girls had a great Halloween. But, but here's some of the issues is, you know, if you saw what happened and, and it's not the 10 and the 11 year olds and the six year olds with the responsible parents, it's the 23, 24 year olds that, you know, make us look like Florida on Saturday night on the strip in Granville with everybody yeah, gathering. Uh, you know, it's the fireworks, almost 300 calls uh, in Vancouver alone, half a million dollars in damage because of 38 fires that were set. I think we got to slowly weed all this stuff out and, and get back to, hey, kids trick-or-treating at a safe distance rather than the partying because, you know, you're saying right now Halloween was a win, but I would say this, James. I think from my point of view, Halloween was the test. We'll get the test results literally in the next two weeks to find out if there was a big failure with all those gatherings that were out there with just, you know, reckless, reckless young adults going, I'm going to go party, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the encouraging thing is you can say that people were outside, um, not that there was much in the way of physical distancing. Um, but yeah, no, I think that it was a bad look for sure on Granville Street. You know, and it's funny because there was a fireworks display, like there were fireworks going off in our neighborhood as well. But man, there was a fireworks display that somebody set up, you know, safely down kind of by the boat launch in our neck of the woods. And, and I'll tell you, like somebody spent some money. Like there was mm-hmm. like, if I could guess, there was probably a couple thousand dollars spent on this fireworks display that was put on, and it was it was quite impressive. We watched, you know, just kind of watching from from our vantage point from from down the street, and this is probably from three four blocks away. It was it, it was next level impressive. But yes, you're right. Like the damage it causes, and it was a bad look from young people. Um, you know, I think a lot of these issues have, you know, in the outbreaks are more so inside. We'll see if, you know, the fact that, you know, the people were outside. But, you know, do we lose that privilege, right? I mean, does Dr. Bonnie, you know, you know, there was one city councilor who was suggesting they're worried about maybe this province going on a lockdown, right, if we're not going to behave. And Happened overseas, I think, in Great Britain. I think they're locking down again. Yeah, they're locking down and, and and the restrictions for, you know, and hey, other parts of this country, right? It's it's not it's it's not a good time right now as we're kind of, you know, you know, the numbers have have been spiking like think about this. Like we're just a few months ago we were talking about seven or eight cases a day here in this province. Now we're talking about north of 200 a day. And, you know, there's hope that the Vancouver Giants might have fans in the stands. I'm sure the Vancouver Canucks are hoping, you know, with their fingers crossed that maybe if things kind of went in the right direction, maybe you could get some fans in the stands there at Rogers Arena. But the way things are trending at the moment, you're right. Like, this isn't this is not happening anytime soon. Well, and I, I think kids get back to school. Sports begins. Uh, more people out and about. And I know it's outside. Uh, but then Thanksgiving, uh, you know, brings the numbers up. And now I think we see what happens right at the end of October to see where we are in, in a couple of weeks. But those conversations we've had with sports owners about, wow, we're hoping maybe January, February. Hey, the big leagues can handle it. I'm sure I'm quite certain we're going to see hockey in the NHL in January. We won't be going to attend it, but there's enough money at the end of the TV revenue. Go now, let's let's make some money and let's hope by February or March we can trickle people in. 
You're seeing it on Sundays in NFL games. You don't have a whole lot of people coming back going, hey, this guy went to a Dallas Cowboys game, although no one should go watch them play. Bad example. But and he caught it in the stadium. But, mm-hmm. yeah, hey, you, you can't deny the numbers are going the wrong way. Australia, for the first time, had no one. They reported no new cases. So countries that size can figure it out. We've got to be that much better. And I thought we were, and we certainly are compared to our neighbors of the South. But, you know, episodes and pictures by what we saw on Halloween night. Okay, now where are those guys going to work today? Are they going back to their apartments that live by themselves? Doubtful. They're walking into some of their homes. And then you see how all the spread can become. So great that there were some responsible people. And Halloween for a lot of people was a win. But in the end, I think Dr. Bonnie might be coming down and slapping a lot of people on the wrist in the next week or two when we see the numbers. Uh, we'll get into the National Football League uh, coming up at the top of the clock with our Monday morning quarterback, Natea J. But uh, let's get into a little C-ball says here. And there's, there's an old saying, never meet your heroes. Now, I was reminded of that over the past weekend when Jack Nicholas, Brett Favre, and my dad's hero, Bobby, Fo- Bobby Orr, yeah, they all came out in support of Donald Trump just prior to the U.S. election. Yes, that number four, Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, to Orr! Bobby Orr! Scores from the Boston Bruins! While Cole's iconic Golden Bear took to social media to share his reasoning to vote for Trump, the greatest defenseman in hockey history took out a full-page ad in a newspaper in New Hampshire stating that the current president is, quote, the kind of teammate I want, and then added, your vote for President Trump would help keep America moving forward in the years ahead. And we also built the greatest economy in history, and now we're doing it again. See all those hats? Make America great again, again. The reaction, especially on this side of the border, was met with great disappointment. Many colonists expressed their disbelief that their childhood hero could support someone who can side with someone as divisive as he is in America. Or support seemed to go against Canadian values. Social media lit up. Say it ain't so, Bobby. Or should have worn a helmet, another said, while many simply stated that they were done with the Bruins immortal. All the more surprising because Orr has typically avoided the spotlight. But then again, should we really be shocked at some of these political views from Orr and Trump? And Jack and Favre and Dana White now this morning? Trump has millions of supporters. But this one hurts because most people I know don't believe in what Trump has done to America. His handling of the Black Lives Matter movement. The COVID crisis. What appeared to be corruption over the last four years in the White House. His refusal to denounce white supremacy. He'll deliver poverty, misery, depression. I will deliver jobs, jobs, jobs. Good ones, too. At the root of all of this, it reminds us that our heroes, they're not perfect. They're far from it. Yes, they're stars. Yes, they're incredibly talented. We emotionally connect with them through sports or film or some inspiring act. But they're also flawed like you and I. Have you ever had someone turn you away from an autograph? Get barked at because they were having a bad day or maybe something worse? Our heroes are human. And nobody is perfect. I look at my own personal childhood and I I think of people that I thought were cool or admired at some point. Mike Tyson went to prison for rape. Ben Johnson stripped of gold because he was using steroids. O.J. Simpson got away with murder. 
Magic Johnson's extracurricular activities led to him contracting the HIV virus, and while he's done tons of good in raising awareness, he also jeopardized his family's health 30 years ago because he strayed from his wife. Lance Armstrong proved to be a phony. Tiger Woods, wandering eyes. And Sean Connery, who just passed away over the weekend, was accused of domestic violence, and even this proved to be what wasn't exactly was being preached when I was a kid. Be true to yourself, true to your country, be a real American. Who knew that the vitamins he was talking about were actually illegal? The hoaxer's language also became a thing a few years ago, too, but I digress. NFL legend Jim Brown has been the subject of multiple domestic abuse allegations. Michael Jordan has been labeled a chronic gambler and Babe Ruth, womanizer. Some of these examples might seem like extreme cases when comparing Jack and Bobby's political choices, but they still sting for those that admire these legends and see things differently than some of us do. But it's also a reminder that nobody's perfect, even the ones we put on a pedestal. Sometimes the truth hurts. 650, 650, if you feel the need to weigh in this morning here on Sportsnet 650. Pair. Yeah, a lot of people coming in. Someone says, why does it matter who you guys who Bobby Orr is voting for? Are you only able to vote for one person? Doesn't sound like a democracy, does it? I think that Stephen Brunt's point is, and we've kind of said, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, millions of people that will vote tomorrow. Who knows who wins that election? But you do have one guy who essentially has been supporting white supremacists, and you question that. Now, of all the athletes we have covered, and both of us, I don't think I've ever got into a political conversation with any of the athletes that I've admired. You meet them, and I would say this. In my time, I've had two moments where um, you know, I was probably as nervous as possible. One was during the World Juniors, during the intermission game of Canada versus USA. I was working for another network and, and they threw to me and I had to have the big introduction at a sold out Pacific Coliseum of Bobby Orr. And you want to make it right because it's Bobby Orr. It's the greatest of all time. And, you know, you want that right tone, that dramatic intro. And it was great. Years later, I was a moderator at an event with Bobby Orr there and Mike Bossy there. And you know what? The one thing about Bobby Orr, you cannot talk about how many awards he's won. He just wants you to just go, hey, it's Bobby Orr. This is a simple and as humble a man as you get. And James, in doing that, I spent an hour and a half and had as many laughs as possible with Bobby Orr and um, ended it. He signed some autographs. I said, no, that's fine. He wanted a business card. Um, There's probably one piece of paraphernalia I have that's great, and it's Bobby's picture flying through the air. Uh, Your friend always, Bobby Orr. Love that. Best piece of memorabilia I have. Was I disappointed on Friday? Yeah, going, really, Bobby? But that's not going to take away what I admired from the man. It's different. I'm a grown man now. He can have his views. That's why you go to dinners. You go, let's not talk politics. Let's not talk religion. To me, it's a lot more clear. Our text lines say, well, you know what? You guys have your way of thinking. Others can. Uh, Are they flawed? Sure. Everyone's flawed. Everyone has an opinion. I don't think it should change what you think of some people and what they've done. Uh, That was then. This is now. You get older, you make your say, and maybe your pedestal doesn't go as high anymore. I think there are a lot of people that quietly support Donald Trump and also recognize that the the backlash that they face if they came out. And, you know, listening to, you know, a story over the weekend, like there's a lot of people that quietly say they, they fear for their jobs if they were to come out and say they supported, you know, Donald Trump. In, in where we're at. But at the same time, like, here's a guy who, during a presidential debate, like, review, refused to denounce white supremacists, right? Like, this this is one that people... How can you... Like, you can't even say that 
and and when you look at the divisiveness, man, I've never seen America quite like this before. That what we've witnessed the last four years, it's okay to have different views. I think it's okay to be a conservative. It's okay to be a liberal. It's okay to be a new Democrat. It's okay to be a Green Party member. You're right. And and politics have become incredibly divisive over the last few years. But I think it's also what the root of what he, you know, beyond anything, it's it's the fact that it just feels so race-based in a lot of ways yeah, it, with the thinking. It, it's not as much a, it, there's nothing to do with politics and, and policies. It's It's more... It's it's more race based uh, the way the way I view it. And listen, yeah. people can text all you want in. Keep them coming. We'll read them. Um, so we'll we'll see. Right. We'll see how it how it goes. It's as fascinating tomorrow. The next 24 hours. I've had a buddy who's been in the middle of it in Washington, D.C. for the last uh, four weeks. And it's you, you realize tomorrow night is maybe just where it all begins. And it'll be fascinating and, and almost a little sad to see what takes place there in the next 24 hours and right after. Heard Walmart stop selling guns. Now they put them back on the shelf because they're everybody's buying them. That's something that is a little past politics and policies as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's our Sportsnet 650 poll question this morning. How do you feel about or Nicholas and Favre endorsing Trump? Uh, 52% of you say uh, done with them. Uh, 18% of you say, hey, I'm all for it. And 30% of you basically saying what Pear was echoing. You know, I'm disappointed. But I still love the guy. You can cast your ballot at Sportsnet 650, 650, our text line. We'll get into week number eight of the National Football League coming up at the top of the clock. Um, hey, we said goodbye to the original Bond over the weekend. Sean Connery at the age of 90. Man, that one hurt. And he was a massive golf fan. See, we're trying to stick to sports on Sportsnet 650. You want to get the phone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get the ball. This is the starting lineup with Jim Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. I know a lot of people will lean towards the original Bond movies and the six films that he did as James Bond. And, and man, he's probably the guy who helped allow the fact he was so good as Bond. You know, we've got almost 60 years of Bond films going. Mm-hmm. But Perry... When I, I love Jimmy Malone and the Untouchables. And when I saw the news on Saturday that Sean Connery died, my first reaction was, oh, no, Sean Connery, no. And then I quickly realized, oh, wait, he was 90. That's a tremendous run, right? Like, Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. He's 90. But he, like, I'll take 90. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, you, you know what I think of it? And it was from Lauren Rubenstein, who actually spent a week and became great friends with Sean Connery through golf. Of all things, Rubenstein, uh, a, a golf writer, he'll join us uh, later on in the show. But um, you know when they always talk of Pat Quinn, right? Berkey always talking to Pat Quinn. If you were ever around the great Pat Quinn, the big Irishman, just commanded a room. To me, that was Sean Connery, right? You just imagine that anywhere this guy walked, you're turning heads. Had the accent, turning heads and gracious and just a, a, an imposing figure. But you're right. You hear it's 90 and you, you sign me up, man. I'll take that run. But so talented. And I'm not a big, big Bond guy. But the Untouchables and the role he had, he just was commanded commanded any film he was in. You know, good old 2020. But as you say, 90, that's a good run for Sean Connery. Oh, tremendous. And, and you know, look, I mean, he, here's a guy. at When he was 59, People Magazine listed him as the sexiest man in the world. Like, this guy got better looking as he got more bald. Is that possible? 
Yeah. Right? Like, the more hair he lost, the better, the more gray he added. Like, he gives hope for a lot of us out there listening this morning that don't peak too soon. Like, this was a guy who was slicked back hair, hooking up with all the beautiful ladies as James Bond in the 60s, and yet became the sexiest man alive 30 years later. Good for him. That Dosecki's world's most interesting man. That that could have been a Sean Connery commercial, right? <laughs> yeah. Just sit in the chair. The original. You're the world's most interesting man. Yeah, you are. I'll give it to you. Yeah. He was six foot two, by the way. I didn't realize uh I didn't realize how big he was. Well, commanding presence, right? Commanding presence. Big yeah. Well, it's funny. You think about the movie The Rock 20 years ago, and he was like, what, 70 in that movie, and he was kind of a badass, and you still bought it, right? I guess it's like Harrison Ford now at 75, right? He'll be in an Indiana Jones movie, and he's going to be close to 80 by the time that movie comes out. I think we'll still buy into Indiana Jones knocking dudes out. Wow, what's Clint Eastwood in the mid-80s, isn't he? He's 90. Clint's 90? See? Yeah. Yeah, you still wouldn't throw down with Clint Eastwood. You're Clint Eastwood. Clint's going to get 100, man. You watch. Clint's going to get to 100. Yeah. No, still not, do not, movies, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yes, he will still be directing movies, 100%. Uh, five minutes to 7 o'clock. Let's dive into uh, week number eight of the National Football League, which comes to a close later on this evening with the Buccaneers and the uh, with the Bucks and the Giants. Uh, we'll get into it with the All Ball podcast host and our Monday morning quarterback, Natea J. and we'll do that next right here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Let's get it going. It's time to get up. First and goal at the eight. Ben stays empty. Baltimore shows blitz. Ben back. Pops. Throws for the end zone. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. And on the out cut to the right, it's Chase Claypool. These guys are here to break it all down. Russ looks. Throws back inside. Ball is caught. It's Metcalf, who makes one man now. Two men miss. 30, 25, 20. Turns up field. They don't touch him. Touchdown, Seahawks. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. It's hard to get any word in with this clown. This is the starting lineup with James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. Seven o'clock. How you doing, everybody, on this Monday, November the 2nd? Yes, November is here. Make sure you're wearing your poppies as well. If there was ever a year to go out of your way and make sure you get yourself a poppy. This is certainly it because I feel like fundraising will be certainly put to the test um, for the poppy um, for this particular year. James Sabalski, Perry Salkowski with you, uh, kicking it with you until 9 o'clock this morning after uh, it was a fun day of week number eight in the National Football League. Unless you were a, an oh. Eagles or a Cowboys fan, like that was a dog's breakfast of a game to watch last night. Oh, listen, we, we get our Steve Rapp. We get our, our Todd Furman in. They were asking me. I was so hot in my NFL picks. Furman asked me, well, hey, what do you think in that Seattle game? And I said, oh, Robin Russ is coming back. They'll be fine. I felt so confident making my picks. I took five can't-lose bets. Of course, four of them lost. And the one bet, James, I made a $1 bet and just said, well, okay, I guess this is possible, that's possible. The odds were 110 to 1. And you know what? I went five or six on that one. NFL's tough to figure out. The only sure thing it seems is right now the Pittsburgh Steelers because so many people thought the Steelers were going to fall to Baltimore, but Big Ben, Chase, Claypool showing up in the end. How about Claypool just retweeting something this morning? Retweeted a tweet from himself when he was 15 years old. And the tweet just said, I need some friends. Because, man, 15, you know, 15-year-old Chase Claypool was pretty lonely. 
So good on him to say, hey, you know, you may see me now celebrating, but yeah, back when I was 15 years old, yeah, you know, whether or not that he was depressed, we go, man, I could use some friends and I was tweeting about it. But Steelers look good. Uh, and tonight we've got the Giants in Tampa Bay closing it out. So it'll be fun to see uh, what the Bucks are up to against the tough Giants team. Let's uh, let's catch up with the uh, the star and the host of the All Ball Podcast, CFL receiver, and our Monday morning quarterback, Natea J. Natea, what's up, man? Man, doing fantastic. I always love Mondays joining you guys after a long Sunday of watching NFL football. Nowhere I'd rather be than right here. Oh, it's all love, man. It's all love. I love it. Um, Hey, I guess we're back to let Russ cook. I guess the MVP chance can get back going after – I think we all kind of thought Russ would atone for this. And, man, you look at the numbers of his bounce-back games. When when he's coming off a loss – like his numbers are just pretty filthy. That's a pretty safe bet that he's now thirty-two and eight following an in-season loss. Um, that's an eight hundred winning percentage, and it's the best by any starting quarterback in the Super Bowl era coming off a loss. Um, what'd you make? What's your takeaways from the Seahawks win yesterday over the Niners? My takeaway is Russ. He's he's probably one of the most mentally tough uh, humans, uh, quarterbacks, and athletes I've ever seen. Like you said. After losses, the guy is almost unbeatable, and you know he's going to bring it. You always see him uh, on the sidelines with the clips where he's talking to his teammates, always positive, and he actually lives that. So to see him always be able to bounce back, the words that he says to his teammates always ring bells because they know he's about it, right? And that game, you know, he felt like Russ was kind of like Oprah, right? Last week, uh, Lockett, <laughs> Lockett has a big game, right? He, You know, he's getting fed. He's getting loved. Now this week, Russ is like, all right, Metcalf, you had a slow day. I'm Oprah. You get the ball. You get the ball. You get the ball. And he, he can pick any week uh, who to target and who the defense isn't focused on and, and give them love. Even David Moore was getting some love that game. So, I mean, Russ, man, the guy, what can he not do right now? The guy is is fantastic, mentally strong. I make that that game. I mean, the Seattle, they're, they're running away with this thing, and their defense is what really impressed me because yes. they're active. I mean, they don't have the big-name guys right now up front. But Wagner, what a stud. Like, I mean, he had like three or four plays where, you know, he's giving guys the rock bottom. Uh, he's just setting the tone and, and really, really bringing that energy. And, you know, that's why he's an all pro almost every time he touches the field, right? This guy sets the tone for his team. He has, you know, the talent isn't what it was back then with the Legion of Boom, but he's making up for it like almost single handling and he's bringing guys along. So my big takeaway was that defense is, is active right now. Well, and they'll get Carlos Dunlap. We'll be able to play for him next time out. Adams will get healthier. Is it more impressive than the Tay what they did because they had no running game yesterday? So if you're San Fran, you go, you know what, they're probably not going to beat us on the ground. But Russ, usually it's get him on the ground, then you can get him on the air. Right. He did it backwards yesterday going, you know what, I know we got no one to run, but I'll, I'll pick you apart after two slow offensive drives. He started picking them apart. Does that not make it even more impressive what Seattle's doing? It really does because when you have a good run game, everything opens up. And to do it backwards, it's way harder because it's almost easier to defend uh, a team that doesn't have a run game because you can just sit back. But that was impressive. Like, that was the thing going into the game. You look at DJ Dallas, you know, rookie, you know, not really proven. And it, what was he going to give you on the run game? And that was what what, what uh, San Francisco was kind of keying in on. It was like, okay, they're not going to have a run game. Let's sit back. And it worked for almost – 
what two drives and then russ is like all right man enough of this run stuff let, let let's work reverse now let me let me do what i do let's set this up and then as you saw the pass game opened up metcalf started getting loose and then the run game took over after that and you know you saw some impressive runs from the kid you know a couple times he was in the wrong spots but he made up for it immediately after and 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 being on a team like this you know everything takes care of itself like on the offensive side you know you can plug guys in it doesn't matter russ is just that big of a, a talent where he can bring guys along even if they weren't aren't you know you can plug me into that backfield and i think i could do okay <laughs> with russ back there just kidding but honestly it, it's fun to watch when, when things are rolling like this on the offense he's got he's got complete control get guys in the right spots you know get guys involved i mean metcalf he didn't have a, a a great game like i was talking about but you know russ is able to you know recognize that and be like okay you know you've been balling all season long you had a slow day let me get you some love so you feel more involved watch next week lock is going to have another great week next week because he had a slow week this week it's just it's just what you love to see on the offensive side you know that's a total team uh effort guys aren't aren't sulking when they don't get the ball Guys understand it's it's bigger than themselves. It's more about the team. And, you know, right now they're clicking. If that defense with Dunlop and Adams gets back healthy, I mean, I mean, I, I don't see how they lose in the NFC this year. Uh, Natea Jay with us here on Sportsnet 650. And, and you know what? You're, you're right. with the, And that defense stepped up yesterday, right? Three sacks, uh, an interception. They forced some fumbles as well. Um, you know, that was a pretty productive and a much different looking uh, defense that had been typically given up closer to 500 yards per game. They cut that down by at least a third yesterday. Um, but, you know, the other thing is you look at DK Metcalf's numbers. You know, 161 yards uh, in the air yesterday, two more touchdowns. Where do you put him amongst the best receivers in the game right now? Is he is he the guy? Like, it feels like every week we're talking about something special that he's doing. Absolutely. And he's a treat to watch because, you know, every time he touches the ball, he has a chance to take it. You know, for six, and it's 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 not normal. You see a guy that's six foot four, almost two hundred thirty pounds, be able to do that. It's almost the smaller guys that are able to do that. So he almost plays to his size, and also he has the ability to play like a six foot guy with one hundred ninety pounds. This is amazing. I think he's like a perfect combination of a, a, a Tura Owens that we seen in the past and a Calvin Johnson. It's like you put two of them together, and you made you birth this this amazing receiver in DK Metcalf, and it, it's always fun to watch. I think right now I was thinking about it today. I mean, you have to put him in the top five, right? Like he was Easily. drafted. Easily. Like he was drafted last year. There was nine receivers taken ahead of him. And right now, are you taking nine receivers ahead of DK no. in the in the entire Hell NFL? No. No. <laughs> exactly. So this guy is unbelievable. Definitely top ten. Uh, he's creeping up into the top five. I mean, you got you know, you got Julio, you got uh B Hop, you got uh Adams. Um, I mean, Odell's hurt, but you know, you can, you can, I think he's better than Odell right now. I mean, you got to look at the full list and I think right now he's creeping up in the top five for sure. Well, another receiver that's creeping up and it's fun to watch obviously because he's from here. Pittsburgh Steelers are your only unbeaten team left in the NFL. Does that mean in your view, they're the best team in the NFL? Hmm, that they're up there. They're up there. Their defense is fantastic. I mean, you watched them last year and they were getting it done with, you know, Duck Hodges at quarterback, uh, Mason Rudolph at quarterback. And those guys have no business being starting quarterbacks in the NFL at this point in their careers. Right. But they were still you look at their games they were one score games and you think 
if we get a, the average quarterback in here, you know, we're going to be a great team. And that's what happened. Big Ben came back and he's obviously above average. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. And now he's back. And, and this is what you're seeing. Like the defense is unbelievable. And yesterday they were they're fortunate that, you know, they're able to force some turnovers on Lamar. I don't know what happens to him in big games. I'm a big Lamar fan, but in big games, you got to question what's what, what's happening. I don't know. It's when you have teams that have great defensive uh, discipline and they're like, OK, beat us with your arm. What are you weak at? Beat us with your arm. You saw when he drops back, he's not the same quarterback as it is when the running game is working to perfection. And um, that game right there, was it, it always felt like who was going to have the ball last. Baltimore had it last and then Pittsburgh stepped up. And uh, so, you know, big props to them. They're, they're looking great. You knew this was going to happen when they got a, a, a good quarterback in there. And it's, they're really impressive right now. They're a fun team to watch, especially because they have Canadian receiver uh, Chase Claypool doing his thing, catching the game-winning touchdown. That is fun to watch. Oh, well, it was his tweet there yesterday. Losing, never heard of her. I mean, still perfect as a, as a pro <laughs> yeah. baller, man. Hey, man. Now he's got swag hey, man, out there. When you're winning, you can say whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, totally. Uh, tell me this, though, on, on the flip side of this. So the Ravens, and, and look, I don't think all is broke and, and doom and gloom for the for Baltimore, but you know, Lamar Jackson, two picks yesterday, and, and I wonder what's different about his game. Like, the most passing yards he's had in a game this year is 275, and his next closest was 208 yards yesterday against the Steelers. Like, he's still an effective runner, but it doesn't seem as magical this week. What is it, the fact, a lack of weapons, or is it just, have they figured him out? Like, there just doesn't seem to be as much sizzle or spice with Lamar this year. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on there, but the main thing is we we've, we've seen it before. I mean, when he was doing it last year, right, his MVP season, it was all new, it was all fresh. It was like, oh, look at Lamar go, look at these highlight plays. Now we another year, you see it, you you're like, okay, what's the next step in that? Okay, we don't want to see what we saw. The next step, are you gonna wow well, us with your arm now? And that's what we're looking for, and we're not seeing it. That's why it's not as impressive, right? So, yeah. like when you see the same, I mean, when you see the same thing like twice, you're not as impressed the second time. It's almost like when your kids, when they when they start walking, you know, the first time it's oh my god, oh, that's amazing, and then you know they're doing it for a while. It's like oh man, yeah, okay, I'm done with you. Yeah, show me a flip. Anymore. Show me a flip. So it's, now, it's kid. like yeah, that with I Lamar. Did. Like we've we've seen all this the running talent. We've seen uh, you know with amazing plays, amazing highlight plays. It's like okay, what's next? Like are you what what big beat big teams like beat teams that are uh, on the same level as you know right and that's what we're looking to see and we haven't seen it this year yet and it's almost it's funny because he has almost the better numbers um when you look at it than last year's MPP season but like stylistically when you look at it with your eyes it doesn't look better and it, it doesn't help that they're losing you know their Achilles heel is losing to know uh, superior teams or teams on their level and they haven't gotten over that that hurdle yet and that's that's what's hurting the optics of the baltimore ravens and i think they're still a great team but to get to the next level we've got to see uh no i think lamar is like i think he's at his ceiling we have to see his arm improve we have to see his drop back passing improve and that's obviously the weakest part of his game right now but if he can figure out a way where, you know, he can beat teams with his arm and then his legs become almost a, a luxury. That is going to be the ultimate Lamar Jackson. And he, he, it seems like he's away from a ways away from that right now. And that's the next step. That's the next step in unlocking the ultimate Lamar Jackson. Well, we always knew Tua was going to be special and his NFL debut was special, special teams, special defensive plays, <laughs> special defensive touchdowns. Everything but how about the team stepping up for him? They win. Good on him. Uh, he was 
looking like a rookie quarterback. Surprise you um, that he he played as he did because he looked like rookies should look. Learning some bright spots, other times difficult. Absolutely. But I'm a big Tua fan. I mean, from Alabama, you know, you see the way his teammates talk about him. I mean, when he was in college, he got two of the biggest recruits, Najee Harris and uh, Devin, um, Devontae Smith, to, to sign at Alabama. And they weren't at first, actually, Jerry Judy as well. They weren't going to sign there, but meeting with Tua at a, at a camp, they were like, they were sold on him, right? So guys love this guy. And you can see that yesterday. Guys were playing for him. They're like, it's Tua's first game. Let's let's give it all we got. The defense has been lights out this year, but you could tell there was a little bit extra juice there, you know, because Tua was making his first start. And like you said, I, he looked like a rookie. You know, he looked like it was his first game. And that's, that's what you want to see. But he did show flashes of that arm talent and, you know, that athleticism. And that's what you want to see as well. And that's why they put him in there. You know, a lot of these teams where they make their Super Bowl runs, they have – quarterbacks on rookie deals and they're able to load up on their defense they're able to load up on weapons while the quarterback is relatively cheap right and that's i think that's what miami's trying to trying to get a head start on is let's get Tua in there and then let's see what he has and maybe next year if he if he proves that he can hang in the league we can load up on defense and get weapons around him and really take advantage of the situation i mean you saw that early with ben roethlisberger he came in game manager they were able to load up on, around him Right now, the Baltimore Ravens, you see all the guys are signing in free agency, all the guys they're trading for. They have Lamar Jackson on a rookie contract. They're loading up on weapons around him. Jared Goff, when he made it to the Super Bowl, you know, loading up on weapons. And Dominican Sue, I mean, just a bunch of guys around him where you're, you're able to, you know, really, really compete and, and take advantage of the fact that your quarterback's on a rookie deal. And I think that's the, the path that Miami's headed on. You know, get Tua in there. You know, you know he, they know he can play. They've they seen Alabama. He did it at a high level. Now, can he stay healthy and, and can he continue to progress? And if he can do that, they're, they're going to be a team to watch because they're for real on that defense. And Brian Flores, man, he's an Im impressive coach. You know, he's been, he's had Goff's number since the Super Bowl. And, you know, he, he really made him look uh, subpar yesterday, to say the least. No, he did. Uh, so Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, or to uh, if you're if you're building a franchise right now from the small sample size you've seen from all three, who are you leaning towards? That's tough. That's tough because they all. <laughs> That's why I asked I mean, you. I mean, Joe Burrow. Herbert looked like a yeah, it's got to be Joe. Of one, if if you look at it, because you watch him and like that when he throws the ball, the it just jumps and it's like on. I don't know if you ever got you guys ever saw that Michael Vick commercial when he's like throwing the ball and it's like hitting the guys and they're jumping back like ten yards. I don't know if you guys ever saw that, but that's what it looks like. He's like putting the ball on his receivers, and they're like, it's like boom, and it's hitting them right, right in the, in the perfect spot. And it's impressive to watch, and he's fun to watch. Burrow has that if factor. He's a winner. You know what I mean? He's gonna do whatever it takes to win. You, you know, you, you have a franchise guy in him. Tua, we're still learning about him. So right now, I'll put Tua. If we're doing rankings, Tua is probably number three. I'll put. For me personally, I have to put Herbert number one because he throws the ball so beautifully. Um, and Joe Burrow's number two. He's a winner, man. But wow. you can't go wrong with either one. They're all going to be fantastic. It's going to be the almost like that draft class of uh, Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, and uh, Rivers, right? They're all fantastic, all Hall of Fame level quarterbacks if they reach their you know their peak. And you know you can't go wrong with either one. Latay, thanks for this, man. Another good week. We'll let's see what uh, Tom does against the Giants tonight to wrap it up. But uh, appreciate it, man. Have a great week in front of you. You too. Always uh, fantastic to join you guys. And uh, 
my baby says hi <laughs> once again, <laughs> but she won't be joining us this week. <laughs> nice, nice. You stay safe out there. All right, there he is from the All Ball Podcast, Natea J, CFL receiver as well, and our Monday morning quarterback here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Monday nighter tonight, you got the Bucks and the Giants, Brady and company, uh, heavy favorites for this one. But, Pear, it's also like the nightmare of Tom Brady, like, you know, the Giants. Like, if there's any team that probably gives Tom Brady nightmares more, there isn't one, right? I mean, two Super Bowls, screw it up, a perfect season, you know? Yeah. Caused his wife to start screaming about Wes Welker, couldn't catch a ball in another Super Bowl, you know? It was (laughs) David Tyree. Yeah, different time, different uniform. No Antonio Brown tonight. Uh, He'll debut next week. And now we got the back-and-forth race that we'll have with, uh, unfortunately, your team falling to the Saints, but Drew Brees setting the new touchdown mark. They'll go back and forth, Brady and Brees, see if Brady can – take that lead again because they'll they'll duel right to the end it was so ridiculous like they ran like on the t- on this ticker on the bottom of the screen during that bears and saints game like yes. for about a half an hour he was breaking news drew but it's like yes and so are we going to do that all night tonight when tom brady throws for a couple touchdowns and then passes drew Brees? like is this going to be like this isn't a thing anymore right <laughs> like this is just going I, I to know. constantly it was change funny because i'm flipping back and forth and when i see that breaking news what happened yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. So he's the new leader, and tonight breaking news again for Tom. Yeah, we're going to see that for the next two years. Yeah, that's exactly it. While well, these guys are still playing, uh, it is twenty minutes after seven o'clock here on this uh, Monday morning. James and Perry with you, uh, hanging out with you until nine o'clock. We're going to tell you about an opportunity for you to win a million dollars later tonight, courtesy of the Vancouver Canucks. Stick around with that. But uh, joining us from uh, just down the hallway from our sister station, uh, News Eleven Thirty. The authoritative news voice herself is in the house. The one, the only, Sonia Aslam, to kind of let us know what is happening over the weekend and this morning here in the newsroom and the news world as you uh, continue your commute to the morning. How are you, Sonia? Uh, fine. How are you guys doing? Well, we're good. I'm looking at all the, the candy that the kids uh, brought in on a nice, safe, and social distancing Halloween night. So loading up on that. How about you? Uh, yeah, it was fine. Went through traffic. There's a bunch of candy in our newsroom right now that uh, will be what mm. I'm going to call the breakfast of champions because we've already had a bunch of Twizzlers and Mars bars. So <laughs> it's great. It's great. Everyone's on a sugar high and it's 720. So <laughs> um, you're hyped up. You know what? Halloween was good for the Zabalskis, But as far as news, Sonia, what do we have? Because I saw some disturbing pictures on Saturday night from kids who wanted to party in downtown Vancouver. What's come of that? Pictures, video, tons of it. Yeah, there was a bunch of videos circulating all over social media. Um, Let me maybe begin by describing what the uh, behavior was of these people to me. We had you know, the Granville Entertainment District was packed with people not wearing the appropriate masks that they should be. Um, I think it is, it can only be described as selfish, irresponsible, pathetic, and frankly, stupid. Um, we have been hearing from top public health officials for months. This is not new. This pandemic is not new. Begging people to stay home. And we had that exact same thing a couple of weeks ago from Dr. Bonnie Henry saying, please just stay home. Please. This is not like any other year. We need everyone to stay home. And that's exactly what didn't happen. People were belligerent. They were, you know, swarming uh, Vancouver police. And it's just not okay. What are you doing? The further this type of behavior goes on and the more type of Um, the more rules that are broken, the longer this drags on. The further we're going to see more restrictions and more lockdowns, and it's just, it doesn't make sense. 
We're going to get can- Christmas canceled here at the rate we're going here. So that is what's going to happen. This weekend was the telltale sign as to whether or not holidays, ho- the holidays, rather, parties, gatherings, family gatherings, will be canceled. So what we can expect, and I would be surprised if we didn't already see it, is a, another spike in cases two weeks from now, which is when the incubation period for this virus uh, sort of pops up. So two weeks from now is when to really keep an eye on numbers, and those will be directly linked to Halloween. We're already seeing more than 200 cases a day. It's already out of control and it's not getting any better. We're probably going to see, you know, another uptick in cases later this afternoon when we get those numbers. So what are you doing? Like, that's sort of my question to these people. I know you want to go out. I know you're frustrated. I know you're tired of staying at home. I know it's Halloween, but come on. What are you doing? You're ruining it for everyone else. Yeah, we wait for the wait for those numbers and the and the follow up for that. Uh, you guys have been so busy for the past few months, but tomorrow something else is going on. News eleven thirty, the place to be. Uh, yeah. How will the U.S. election plan out? How will the coverage oh be? Oh my gosh, that's got to be crazy <laughs> in the newsroom. I like how both Seabol yeah. and I are oh like, oh my gosh. Uh, so it's gonna play out. You know, it'll be. Uh, a lot of look ahead, obviously, for the day. And then I don't think we can expect final results tomorrow night. I think we'll have a very good idea. Uh, we will have someone, uh, one of our people in Seattle, who will be covering it for us from there just to get the U.S. taste of it. Um, so this is someone who lives in Washington State. So it's not like there's a quarantine issue here, just so everyone knows. Uh, so we'll we'll watch it like the rest of the world. You know, this is history in the making. And um, like I said, we're not going to get the final results tomorrow. Uh, very similar to the provincial election in that sense, where we still don't have the final BC uh, results from our election more than a week ago. So it'll be a wait and see, but we'll see, you know, who goes red and who goes blue and we'll, we'll take it from there. The, the real, the real, uh, story for the election though will be the following morning will be, you know, on the fourth or the night of the third, there's going to be uh, fallout regardless of who wins. We've already seen businesses in New York and other major cities, Washington, D.C., board up their storefronts because they're expecting there to be a major backlash. So, you know, to see who protests, if there are protests, how violent they get and how bad they get, that's going to be uh, another major focus for us. Oh, man, business is picking up. Uh, Aslam, thank you very much for this. Uh, it sounds like a busy morning for you guys, and let's hope that Christmas doesn't get canceled. But, man, some irresponsible brats over the weekend not sending a good look for us. Uh, stay safe really over nice there. <laughs> uh, save me a Wonder Bar if you can, even though it's not a popular one, it sounds like. No, it sounds reasons. terrible. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Oh it's my the God. best. It's the best. <laughs> Thanks, Sonia. Thanks, guys. There she is, uh, Sonia Aslam from News 1130, uh, just down the hall from us uh, with the latest here this morning. Uh, Halloween, just a gong show on Granville Street. And there's an election coming up uh, just over 24 hours from now. And pair, uh, listening to a podcast in the New York Times over the weekend talking about how gun sales are through the roof right now as we approach Election Day. And it's from both sides, from both Democrats and the Republicans. Election is one thing. Wednesday, Thursday, the fallout will be something else. Hey, you know what's good is helping your community. You know what also is good? A chance to win a million dollars. James, when we return, we will tell people how that can happen tonight. Yes, the news you need to hear right here. Sports at 650. More of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 731, Sabolski, Solkowski kicking it with you until 9 a.m. How would you like to win $1 million? 
How's that for a bad Dr. Evil impression, Pear? That wasn't bad. Listen, listen, the last 48 hours for you, you are in your sweet spot with Halloween. You probably did a Dr. Evil at one point, did you not? No, nope, never did a Dr. Evil. Oh, no, there you go. Went out as a, went as a, uh, a, a just a last second thing, just went as a vampire. Didn't really do a whole lot of advanced planning on this one, so just did a, a vampire. Uh, both Brenda and I just kind of just dressed up a little bit to hand out some candy in front. With the, what about uh, the, the girls? Did they have? You can't say which girl had the best costume, but uh, uh, you know, what, let's see. Mac was a zombie soccer player. Abby was uh, what did Abby? Oh, she was like a like a a devil fairy. Um, Chloe went as mm-hmm. a a rapper. Uh, she had uh, the cornrows and everything. I was actually pretty impressive on that one. Uh, had my wow. Barry Bonds Arizona State jersey. She was ra- repping that night, and uh, and Riel was a uh, a, a unic- uh, was a uh, a unicorn fairy as well. So uh, very good. Yeah, fairies and zombies seem to be the theme uh, over the course of Halloween night. Uh, so the Canucks for Kids Fund, in partnership with the Canucks Autism Network, excited for a big announcement which goes down tonight. And here to tell us all about it is the CEO of the Canucks Autism Network, Britt Anderson. Morning, Britt. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? I'm good. You know what? You know what would be really even better to make my day here at the beginning of November? A million bucks. How can we win? Well, for everyone, isn't that the case? Eh? Yeah. And, and you know what? It's it's. Today is a day, guys. Today is a day for every one of your listeners. It is a million-dollar jackpot. Uh, pretty unique event in the sense that, hey, this is, a, this is a 50-50 draw outside of a game. It's not related to a game, but everything, all proceeds go to the Canuck Autism Network. So, you know, if, if, uh, if a million dollars is not incentive enough to go out and buy tickets, how about supporting an amazing charity? Well, it is. You guys do so much stuff, and you're not alone. I mean, everyone's had to pull everything back. Uh, you know, you're fishing for kids. You know, James and I have been involved in the camp program. Where do they go? Because people are listening now, Britt, and they're going, okay, so how? Where do I go find this? I like to support the cause. Everyone likes money. Everyone likes to win. Everyone likes Absolutely. the Canucks. Where do we send them? Yeah, here's here's the easiest place to go. Just go to Canucks.com, and there's a link right there on the homepage. It'll get you right to where the tickets are, the 50-50 tickets. And the draw the draw time, so you have to have the tickets purchased by uh, 9.30 tonight, and I'd suggest that buy them early. I, I'd hate to see those people getting on, trying to get on last minute and not being able to get through. Uh, buy them early. Tickets start as little as $5, and uh, you know, you've got a, a great chance to win, and what a game changer that would be for, for some lucky person out there, and, and then the Canucks Autism Network to boot. Yeah, it might pay for Christmas this year. Yeah, absolutely. It might almost do that, yeah. Okay, so uh, one more time. Let's hit the website. Where can people go? Canucks.com. That simple. Um, that simple. And then uh, right there on the homepage, there's a link to get you right to the, where the ticket sales are. What can you tell us quickly, Britt, about what this network has done? I mean, we see it. We come and support the cause, but you're right there on the, on the ground level. It's amazing how it changes kids, doesn't it? It really does. You know, I mean, there's, first off, autism is, is so wide-reaching. I mean, the, the latest stats we have, one in 40 kids in the province uh, have are somewhere on the spectrum. So, you know, that, that's as many as 19,000 young people in this province. Um, and, you know, for a lot of those folks, there's, there's very little in the form of, of recreation, social interaction. Uh, our programs provide that. And and a lot of it is sports and rec, so, you know, soccer teams and swimming and hockey and all those amazing things that everybody gets to benefit from. And, um, and then in addition to that, we work with, 
rec centers and coaches and, 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 and a whole bunch of sports teams so they can welcome everybody um, with autism into their existing programs. We're even getting into things like employment for, for, for adults. Um, so they have, you know, jobs like everyone, everyone should. Um, and it's been really game changing for so many kids and families and, and, and now getting into the, the young adults. Well, Britt, thank you very much. Uh, here's hoping uh, it, it's, it's a wealthy one, and here's hoping that uh, Sabalski's number gets called later on tonight. Uh, hey, there you sorry, go. Sorry, not Absolutely. sorry, okay? That would be a terrible <laughs> look. Yeah, well, thanks, you guys. So appreciate it. And, again, it's uh, 9.30 tonight. Tickets only $5. Um, make sure you, uh, you you get yours. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, uh, Britt. There he is. Britt Anderson, the uh, CEO of the Canucks Autism Network, uh, sharing uh, with us a chance to win. How you can win a million bucks tonight. Ticket start is only a little as five bucks, and uh, you can get in on that later on tonight um, simply by going to Canucks.com. Just as uh, simple as that, man. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy pair. Well, and, you know, most people, when they go to a hockey game, uh, you know, you know that that number is going up big for the 50-50. And uh, why not do it? As Britt was saying, the cause is great. Uh, the number is going to be big. You want to get set and for Christmas, feel good about yourself and what they do for Canucks Autism. Uh, that's the way to do it. So get to the website, buy yourself a ticket. As he said, as little as uh, $5. So something you have to, to look for, for sure. Um that's it. Our poll question today, boy, we've got an awful lot of response and a lot of people mm-hmm. care. We were talking earlier with Stephen Brunt about the fact that on um, Friday, just before we know, Bobby Orr, full page ad supporting Donald Trump. Jack Nicholas did it earlier. I was uh, I texted a buddy who's in D.C. right now. I said, hey, did you hear the one about Bobby Orr, Jack Nicholas and Little Wayne walk into a bar? Because Little Wayne stepping behind um, Trump this week. But we're wondering, did it make a difference to you? How do you feel about Bobby Orr, Nicholas, Favre endorsing Trump? Make a difference at all? Uh, it's amazing. I'm surprised at the numbers in this, James. 52% of the people have said, yeah, I'm done with them. Uh, 20% all for it. And 27% are disappointed but still love them. Uh, I said, listen, I have a lot of time for Bobby Orr the hockey player and what he did and how he has treated people that I've seen his political view. Yeah. I, I don't agree with it, but I'm not done with them. Uh, disappointed, but I, I still have so much respect for Bobby or that's where I would fall. I'm surprised more than half of the people James said, ah, that's it. I'm done. Whether that's a heat of the moment decision, but I'm surprised that many people are that concerned about it. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's fascinating. Like I, I kind of said this about an hour ago, but it's the old you know, don't meet your heroes. Right. And I think it's a reminder that, look, our heroes aren't perfect. Like our heroes have flaws, too. And to, to see somebody like Donald Trump that is so divisive as an individual. And this is where people uh, and, and I'll tell you, like it is a polarizing to have even here on sports radio because of you look at hey but the NBA's return to play I mean so much at this with at the backdrop of was what was going on politically south of the border right I mean look at the jerseys right Breonna Taylor say your name like how many jerseys had you know on on that right you know allowing players to kneel to step up to speak up LeBron James kind of at the forefront of a lot of that like the face of the NBA you know Matt Dumba with his emotional speech at the start of the NHL's return to play you know with respect to black lives matter and and so much of this and and this has become such a, a hot button election issue 
but a lot of people texting in as well. Um, you, you know, you you listen. Uh, here's here's Keith in Qualicum Beach, and and we get a bunch of these as well. Talk sports, not politics. Nobody cares what you think, and you shouldn't care what other political views are. You know, there's one. That's Keith in Qualicum Beach. Um, you know, another one. Ed Trump has repeatedly denounced white supremacy. You're watching too much CNN. Good for Orr for expressing his opinions. Like there are people that appreciate what. Bobby Orr and Jack Nicholas have done uh, up here. It is not just everybody, you know, hating on this. I mean, there are a lot of people that don't like what Bobby Orr did over the weekend and kind of broke their childhood hearts, respectively, pair. But there are a lot of other people that we're hearing from that don't have a problem, like you said, on the poll question. And a lot of people don't have a problem with Bobby Orr coming public and support of Donald Trump. No, uh, Rodrigo saying they're people, they're not your friends. They, they're still some of the greatest athletes in their careers. Trying to take this away because of their personal opinions doesn't sit well. Um, yeah, they, they, can have their, they can have their own beliefs. And I'm sure there's a lot of athletes that we, high with, we hold with great regard that politically aren't in line with us. It, it just seems right now what we've witnessed south of the border, it's not so much about policy and what they're doing, right? It's, it's, there's, there's too much hate involved towards people. Uh, is, it seems to be more of a platform. So you go, how do you not see that? Now, when people take our shots, oh, you're watching CNN, this and that. Uh, I'm disappointed in Bobby Orr, but that's not going to change how I think of Bobby Orr. If I didn't know that, like maybe Wayne Gretzky is the Donald Trump supporter. I, I have no idea. Well, and there, and there was something right? there that, that came up, you know, over the weekend that people, hey, remember, you know, Wayne Gretzky endorsed Stephen Harper. Right. And, you know, I mean, Harper served for 10 years here as prime minister in this country. But, you know, that Gretzky started people. Oh, I remember he supported the conservative prime minister there for for a time as well. So um, you look at, you know, now suddenly people's political views are coming into question, depending on your heroes. And, you know, other texts coming in. I'll never think of Bobby Orr in the same way again. Uh, more texts coming in here. You know, you guys have called Trump a white supremacist. How many times uh, has Joe Biden been called a racist? You haven't brought that up at all. Um, another one. I love Donald Trump. Can we trade that traitor Trudeau for Trump? You know, John O saying, don't worry about the stick to sports things. Remember, stick to the truth. So uh, it's fascinating how polarizing it is. You know, people just texting in Trump 2020. Like there are. Yeah. The reality is, pair. Donald Trump's going to get millions and millions of votes tomorrow, just as Joe Biden will be. The polls say that Biden's going to win this, but I think oftentimes there's a lot of people that quietly have seen the blowback that Bobby Orr has endured, that Ryan Kessler we saw a few months ago wind up dealing with as well, Um, and the blowback on this to come out publicly in support. I think there's a lot of people that are just quietly will go to the polls and, you know, shake their heads as somebody with them. Oh, man, Trump is so divisive. And they're going to go to the poll and quietly vote for Donald Trump again. Um, I, I don't disagree. He's going to get millions and millions of votes. That's the concern. I think that's why we've seen people lining up for five or six hours to get the vote in. I think they've surpassed 90 million uh, votes already in, which is something unheard of in there. Trump supporters are the loudest supporters. You know, anytime people get on our text line, usually it's, you know, stop talking. You're you're biased. You hate Trump. You know, I don't care about your views. They seem to be the loudest. And that's what makes the next 24 hours so fascinating. And after the election and how long it takes to see what is happening. So to me, I'm surprised what Bobby Orr did. Not thrilled with what Bobby Orr did. But I became a Bobby Orr fan, not because of his views at 70. I became a fan of how he played the game of hockey, how he treated Canadians. 
um, and, and how he's done. That if I never knew what Bobby Orr's political view was, and in 30 years from now, I, I would have it wouldn't have changed how he was for me. But there's 50 percent of the people that go, you know what, what Bobby said, I don't care for him anymore. I'm done with Bobby Orr. I'm can, not can, so sure. I think can I just point? Can I just point this out? Somebody just texted in and said, you guys have just lost a listener because you guys can't shut the bleep up about your own personal opinions. We're talk show hosts. That's what we're paid to do is have opinions. You don't have to agree with them all. But that's what we do. It's a talk show. Just saying, fair. Well, I, like, what are we supposed to talk about? <laughs> so whoever texted in there, what would you like us to talk about? Oh. We'll leave it up to you, right? Stick to sports. We, right? You tell us what we're supposed to talk about, and we'll leave it at that. People were mad at us last week for talking about COVID. Justin Turner had oh. COVID and didn't wear a mask. We didn't cause that. Yeah. Bobby oh, Orr's the one who put out the ad. Bobby Orr is arguably the greatest hockey player ever. How do we not talk about that? We're not sitting here talking about anything else. It, we're not talking about the economy, about his policies. We're talking about a pro athlete, the Golden Bear on Wednesday, Bobby Orr on Friday. If someone else comes out tomorrow morning, we'll talk about it. It's sports, and we're talk show hosts. So see yeah. you. Thanks for being a listener until now. Sorry about that. Your uh, your Canucks commute coming up uh, at the top of the clock. Uh, real good, uh, real good text. I, I want to get in with the eight o'clock hour. Is it just me or the Caps starting to give the Grizzlies a run for the money in the worst expansion team ever? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, we'll get into that in the eight o'clock hour. But pair, we're going to continue this no BS theme, right? No BS, no PS. One guy who doesn't need who doesn't need a weapon because his hands are weapons. Well, he came out, and man, you didn't want to mess with him over the weekend. We'll tell you who that is. No BS, only PS. Straight ahead, 745 on a Monday morning for a couple of talk show hosts on Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 749, Sabalski, Solkowski. Uh, hey, quick shout out to uh, Kelly, loyal listener who uh, commutes from Langley to Burnaby each morning and says he listens to us religiously. So uh, good morning. And uh, maybe Vic uh, or Sonny in Victoria might have just oh, had the best the text of the morning. <laughs> yeah, for the win. Uh, no offense, but Bobby Orton isn't known for spotting a con man. Shout out yes. to Alan Eagleson. <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, sunny. You made me laugh this morning. Well done. Very good. Uh, let's deal with it. No BS, just some PS coming your way. Shall we begin? Let's do it. The stories that are truthful. Maybe not the headlines. Here we go. PS, John Jones, UFC guy. No one would like to mess with, but imagine if the weapon he is using isn't just his hands. Oh, yeah, a little shotgun. He's 26-0-1. He sees a burglar on his driveway this weekend. He comes out running. Like, if you come out running, you're John Jones, but the UFC superstar posted security footage, uh, captured at home in uh, Albuquerque, they assume. He comes flying out with the big shotgun, ready to pump, ready to go. The guy sees him, and he was gone. Uh, clean getaway. But, man, John Jones enough is coming in but you got a burglar on your property james you're coming out he meant some business this weekend do you remember colby rasmus who used to play for the blue jays way back yeah uh, go back yep. a number of years ago he uh, you know 
Colby was a southern was a southern guy, and and he was up here for a series against the Mariners uh, going back in 2013. I remember talking to Colby. I don't know how the conversation came up, but I remember saying, man, America is so divided these days. So this is like three years before Trump got in. Like, man, America is so divided these days. And Colby just kind of looked at me. He's like, yep. And I got a lot of guns and I got a lot of ammo for my compound in Alabama. (laughs) John Jones is somebody I want on my side if there is ever like a civil war. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mean. Uh, P.S. Um. When the day comes and we can freely cross the border and go to Seattle, uh, if you're a former Seattle Sonics fan, you may want to visit the new shop that the Rain Man, Sean Kemp, has. He's opened up his own cannabis store in the city and was asked, hey, it was illegal when you played, but did you use it? When I played, absolutely. We smoked pot back in the day when we played it. You know, we was responsible with it, but we definitely smoked. Um you know, I'm not the first person to be able to say that on, yeah. on, on, on camera. I won't be the last person to say that. But I think uh, it's, it's, it's professional ways that you can go about doing this. And you know what? If you walk into that store when they had the opening this weekend, the glove, Gary Payton was there. And you can buy Gary Payton cookies in the new Sean Kemp store. <laughs> <laughs> yep. A more reason to love Sean Kemp. Which, by the way, man, at some point, like, it's legalized in this country. Like, how there is such reluctance and weight and slow playing, like, to have cannabis stores in Metro Vancouver and regions. Like, you know, and and some cities have said, oh, this isn't for us. And it's like, but you can have, like, three liquor stores all within about 100 meters of each other, but you can't have a pot shop, right? Like, you know, alcohol is okay. Because nothing bad ever happens when somebody's drunk, but pot. Oh, you, you know that—that's—that's that's the devil weed. Come on, man, Boy. clean it up. Hey, that's a, that's a slow play. Believe someone who's made an investment over seven years ago—that's a slow play. We'll see what happens. Hey, P.S. Tomorrow's the big day. American voters—they can shoot their shot, just like Barack Obama did on the weekend. He was walking out of a gym after speaking. People were playing ball. They threw him the ball. He was behind the three-point line. Take a listen. That's what I do. Man, that was you. You want some swagger? He's a lefty. Bend the knees, nothing but that. Just walks off like, yeah, no, I'm cool. Rock can play. Yes, he can. Like he he can totally uh, he can totally play. And there was like stories when he was in the office. He would I, I, he had a game I think at like five a.m. almost daily. And he had a member of his uh, chief of staff. Was it Reggie Love who had played at Duke as well? Like, he, like he had a good yeah. run. Like, there's guys and, and NBA players who have all kind of said who played with Barack in the past and say like, Nah, dude, dude can shoot. Dude can play. Yeah. And, and P.S. Uh, the Florida Gators haven't played football for three weeks because of COVID. They play on the weekend. Uh, they get three players ejected because of a brawl. Brawl that was instigated by the head coach. And the head coach Dan Mullen afterwards shows up to the press conference. And you'll have to listen. He was in full Darth Vader costume. I'll start. I'm unmuted. Um, Dan, Darth Vader, I'm assuming that's you. Still Halloween, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Man, like he gets paid $6 million a year. His Right now, his whole program with the COVID and all that, and then the issues he had, I'm just going, and I know you're probably on his side, James. Man, just, just, just act like an adult, please. 
for 10 minutes, but you show up for your post game, you put on your costume and go there. And said, well, because I have the kids and it's a great day. No, I know it's a great day, but guess what? Just do your job. You get paid $6 million, Answer the questions. There is a fight. You started it. Be serious. Then put on the costume and drive home. $6 million to act like Darth Vader and act like a fool, and he has for a while in Florida. Well, talked about wanting to pack the stadium, and then everybody on the team got sick. And, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would think that Steve Spurrier's got to be shaking his head. But, man, it's Halloween! Can't be morally outraged with somebody wearing a Darth Vader mask on Halloween after a college football game. I don't know. Do you want your lawyers showing up? Hey, my court case is on October 31st. Hey, Diamond, I'm, I'm going to dress up as uh, as Judge Judy. Maybe the judge will let you. You got your job to do at some point, and that was uh, the time for him to do his job. Sure. It was a post-game of a football game, though, right? It's not like he was in court. Yeah, but it's not like a bantam football game. He works at a place that's a $100 million business. 100%. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, like, it's still a sport they're playing, right? Yeah, you know what? I knew when I wrote this that I was given this PS, not BS. You were going to side with them. Oh, I that don't was think the given. I, like it's not. I don't think it's my hill to die on. But I don't think it's like. I don't think it's. I don't think people should be morally outraged because he showed up with a Darth Vader mask on. I'm just saying, if you could have Halloween every month, you would. You would check that right now. Awesome. Yeah. You know, and Jim, ben- Jim Benning could probably, you know, Jim Benning would help out a lot of his news conferences if he put a Darth Vader mask on and started breathing heavy. That's some personality. I find your lack of faith disturbing. See, imagine Jim Benning yeah. did that. You'd love it. He'd go as Count Dracula <laughs> or right. Paul Bearer. Yeah, yes, Paul Bearer. <laughs> That's it. No BS. Just PS, everybody. Do it at seven forty-five every day. Uh, your Canucks commute coming up in just a matter of moments. Uh, Harmdale uh, took a deep dive in the Athletic over the weekend as to what it would look like if Louis Erickson got buried in the minors. Is it even a likely scenario this year? We'll get into that much, much more. All still ahead. Your Canucks commute next here at Sportsnet 650. A cup of Joe and the Canuck commute. Hughes cycles for Erickson. Behind the net for Horvat. Across to the right corner. Then into the slot for Pearson. For the wrist shot right off. Tip to the side of the goal. And Louis Erickson scores for the rebound. The smile on Louis Erickson's face from ear to ear says it all. A five-star morning on the starting lineup. It's your Canucks commute here on this Monday morning. James and Perry hanging out with you until 9 a.m., hour number three here on Sportsnet 650. And um, a reminder, this hour of the uh, starting lineup presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, Arbuter Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. And Perry? Um, we'll get to a coming up at 8.30. We'll, we'll talk to one of Canada's best golf writers, Lauren Rubenstein, longtime writer for the Globe and Mail, who shares a story how he became essentially like besties with the late Sean Connery. Yes, James Bond, Jimmy Malone, Indiana Jones' dad over golf. Um, and how we'll connect to that story coming up at 8.30. But interesting story uh, from Harmon Dale, who's going to join us momentarily, about uh, Louis Erickson this weekend. And, man, we've talked about this for years, but, you know, could Louis realistically be in the American League this year? Um, Harmon kind of breaks down the numbers, and, and you wonder, with two years left, it doesn't seem like a buyout is happening at this point in time. And I'm okay with that, because you can see a light at the end of the tunnel here now with his contract. But... It's, um, you know, what do the economics look like for Louis Erickson in the American League this year? 
It's amazing how much this team has changed. I think after in the last two years, the only defenseman left on this 2020-2021 roster that we will see is, is Alex Edler. I think everything else has changed, right? Yet here we are when this team takes the ice in a couple months, three months, whenever it is, in all likelihood, just like it was two years ago, almost three years ago, you're looking at a top six spot on the right side and going, who's there? Jake Vertanen? Louis Erickson? I mean, Louis Erickson played significant minutes in the postseason when this team was successful. He started up as a healthy scratch and watch, but then they get depleted with Defoley and he come in and, and Erickson's there playing with Bo Horvat. Playing well, creating chances, missing the chances he creates. But that's Louis Erickson. And I'll say this, for as much as he has been the polarizing figure because of the money, with the exception of him talking in Sweden a couple of summers ago during a world championship to a Swedish reporter that, when translated, didn't seem to be all that uh, friendly about Travis Green and they're on the wrong page. That's the only mistake Louis Erickson has made. He signed the deal like everyone would. He hasn't been able to put up the numbers that everyone thought, but he's kind of been the great soldier. Come to work hard. No one asks him a whole bunch. Just teammates talk well of him, but it's a business decision, and the money that surrounds Louis Erickson, it just seems to fall in his favor that it's just too costly to move him, and it'd be better for him actually financially if he goes to the AHL. Wherever you turn, it seems like a win for Louis Erickson. But goes to work every day and underperforms, at least in the eyes yep. of the general public and, and the numbers, right? That's the thing that ultimately yeah. hurts them. Harmon Dale from the, uh, from the Athletic um, kind of broke down the numbers on this and joins us here bright and early this morning. Nice job there, Harm. Nice to connect with you again, sir. Thanks for having me on, guys. So crunch the numbers for us here this morning. If Louis, the possibility that, say, he gets sent down to the American League, how costly is this for the Canucks? Because... This actually will cost them a lot of money, potentially, if they did. Yes, it will, 100%. Um, and it all goes back to kind of the business side of hockey. So um, as far as the NHL is concerned, um, the CBA dictates that for every dollar that's made in hockey-related revenue, um, that, that it should be an even 50-50 split between players and owners. And so to kind of maintain that, what, what happens is, uh, every year, players are subject to escrow. And so escrow is just quite simply a, a slight portion of the players' salary that gets withheld from every paycheck to kind of maintain that even split. So it might be 10% in a given year, might be 12%, 8%, just depends on how high revenue ends up being. Um, and so as we look ahead to next season, revenues are sharply declining. And so to compensate for that, to compensate for the fact that owners aren't making a lot of money, escrow is supposed to rise, which means NHL players are giving back more of their salaries. Um, so a player making $6 million isn't really making $6 million in salary um, if you're playing in the NHL, uh, in addition to the fact that NHL owners can also defer an additional 10% um, to kind of pay off in the future. So uh, when you combine those two factors, escrow and deferral, deferral um, players are going to be making 72 cents on the dollar. So every paycheck that they get for next season is projected to be 28% smaller than um, initially anticipated. Now, the, the, the kicker here, and, and this is why it affects Erickson, is that if you're in the AHL, well, well there's no escrow in the AHL. So um, if, if Erickson had been in the NHL uh, making 72 cents on the dollar, 
uh, he would have been making two point eight eight million as opposed to uh, the the four million in salary um, that he that he'd be projected to make otherwise. So uh, and, and 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 then that's why it it is such a um, sort of strange situation because if you send him down to the AHL, um, so the signing bonus that he's been paid has already been deducted. Uh, escrow has has been from that. Um, so. If, if he doesn't play in the NHL at all, that amount actually gets um, refunded to him at the end of the season. So um, there's that aspect to consider, not to mention the potential replacement cost of Ericsson's roster spot, because let's hypothetically say he does play in Utica, where you're going to have to replace him in your 23-man roster. And if it's someone like Cole Lind uh, or Jace Howerlick that's on a two-way contract, well, Lind, for instance, makes 70 k in real cash if he plays in the AHL. But he's making 925k uh, in the NHL, so that all of a sudden becomes roughly another 850 thousand um, dollars that you're indirectly also paying in cash. That ownership would be um, if Erickson is in the minor. So you kind of combine the two factors, um, and and it's not an insignificant figure, especially when you consider that Berchi is probably getting buried as well. Um, and, and so just. Just from that perspective, even just financially, there is incentive for the Canucks to keep Erickson around in the NHL. Yeah, I, I, and Harm, what you're saying is from a, you know, let, let's use Berchi. From a professional standpoint, Sven Berchi really had a difficult year. He didn't make this team. He went to Utica. From a financial standpoint, Sven Berchi had the greatest financial career of his life last year, didn't he? He did, yeah. Same thing with escrow. It wasn't obviously as significant. I think escrow would have been um, 10% this past year, and I think it's going to uh, double to 20% uh, next season. But for sure, if you're, if you're an NHL player, um, now all of that uh, money is, is going straight to your pocket if, if you're in the minors. And that's why you look at a lot of these contracts that were signed this offseason. Um, money was backloaded, and it kind of benefited both sides because owners in a year – uh, where they're pressed financially, they, they, they aren't making much in revenue. Um, they aren't having to expend so much next season. And from the players' perspective, that means more of their salary that they make is going to be down the line, where presumably escrow won't be as high. So you even look at a, a contract as simple as Jake Vertanen's. Uh, he's only making 1.7 in salary uh, this coming season, but 3.4, he's doubling that the year after. Uh, and the same goes as far as structure um, and being backloaded and bringing Holtby, Tyler Mott, even even Zach McEwen's contract, up and down the board, small contracts, big contracts, anything with more than one year, uh, the salary is kind of being very specifically structured here um, to kind of address the business side of things. And it goes all across the league, not just Vancouver. And you look at um, the Canucks' situation, um, right now their 23-man roster, their actual cap hit is obviously close to, the, it is right at the ceiling. It's um, actually, actually slightly above it right now at roughly $83 million. But there's only a, only actually $66.5 million in actual cash expenditure. So um, it's just such an interesting time in, in the league right now where uh, the business side of the game is dictating so many of the decisions. Um, and it's not just about pure on-ice value right now. No, it's 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 less about a hockey decision and more about a business decision. Uh, Harmon Dale from the Athletic with us here on Sportsnet 650, and then I guess the other thing is like the other thing to consider on this is the taxi squad 
potential as well here, right, Harm? I, like, I guess it's not just as cut and dry as saying, well, does he crack a spot here with the Canucks this year or does he go down to the American League? I guess there's also the possibility of, I guess, depending on what the border looks like, depending on whether or not Utica moves here on the, this side of the border for this coming season, um, what is the possibility of a taxi squad? And then what sort of flexibility does that happen for teams that if you're going to have a few extra bodies up here, kind of on standby in the event that, you know, you need somebody to step in if somebody goes down? Yeah, I mean, there's there's just so many variables um, at play right now. Um, and when you do consider the possibility of a taxi squad, I think you may see it if um, if Vancouver's affiliate remains in, uh, remains in Utica um, and the Canadian U.S. border uh, is closed. Well, then that would obviously be uh, uh, tricky for all these Canadian teams to kind of bring up uh, AHL players. Mm-hmm. So in, in that event, I think you might not only would you perhaps see a, a taxi squad, but it could maybe even be larger. Uh, than the one uh, that we saw in return to play. And that would open up so many different um, implications, even from a salary cap perspective. And so um, it's just there are a million possibilities of how this is going to, how this could play out, especially because the AHL season is going to start um, later than the NHL one. They've set a target date, I think, of uh, February 5th or 6th, um, which is uh, five weeks after when the NHL is at least targeting as as a starting point. Um, and so there are just so many dynamics at play play right now. Um, I, I know that the Canucks right now are definitely internally um, working through a bunch of different scenarios and, and what their rosters could look like. And I think this is why it was so important to um, sign someone like Jace Howerluck, right? Um, on the surface, it may not seem like a whole lot. This is a guy who doesn't have a, a ton of any, a ton of NHL experience, but um, he just has a little bit of uh, perhaps uh, untapped upside there, hard to play against. I think he's a credible NHL player. And, and just with the way the season is also going to be structured, um, we know that it's that the schedule is going to be really condensed. I think you're going to need a ton of bodies. And so um, for from Vancouver's perspective, just being able to restock a little bit of depth, I think that's also why the organization would love to ideally, if possible, uh, acquire another veteran depth defenseman to kind of insulate um, they're, they're young uh, rookies and prospects coming up from Utica as well. So um, that's going to be really interesting. And I do think because of those reasons, uh, organizational depth is going to be huge this coming season. Arm, I, 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 you know, it's always tough to think here we are in November. It still is the NHL offseason. Um, I guess hope will always remain. But do you think there's any thought in the Erickson camp of just saying, I, I don't want to go through this. I've made a lot of money, and he would stay in Sweden. On the surface, you could kind of, kind of try and make a case for it, just in terms of Ericsson's made almost sixty million dollars, and um, with his signing bonus for this season already paid out, uh, he's only got a total of uh, five million left, which, relative to his career earnings, um, doesn't sound like a whole lot. But then there are other factors I think to consider and I think chief of that is uh, the fact that his restaurant business and, and investments back home in Sweden haven't fared particularly well um, when you look at it uh, there was uh, a scandal that kind of happened behind the scenes and so revenues uh, for 2017 and 2018 in his restaurant business uh, absolutely plummeted so perhaps that's one incentive to keep playing and the second factor is uh, I genuinely um, 
believe that uh, he's in a scenario here um, where if he makes the if he makes the NHL, what I don't think he has any incentive to um, leave. I, I think the discussion of and the question that fans have had of is Erickson maybe going to retire? It would only be in I think in a scenario where um, he was demoted to the AHL because uh, Utica obviously isn't the most desirable city itself to play in. Um, he'd be away from family, riding the bus, the AHL lifestyle. All those factors could perhaps um, give uh, give a little bit uh, of incentive. But um, I just think, um, for starters, we don't even know. I think the AHL season is going to be really hard to uh, just get off the ground. And, and because of the factors we mentioned, I don't think it's very likely that he plays in Utica. So if you're um, looking at a scenario where, in all likelihood, Erickson's going to Vancouver, not to Utica, um, and I, I just don't think uh, that we're—I don't think it's likely at all that Erickson would retire. I think um, I, I think he would show up, and I think he would play play out his contract. In fact, I think so too. I, I think I think you're you're right on that, Harm. I, I don't see him packing it in, and I think any suggestion of that has pretty much sounds like Louis ready. To, I mean, the, the, here's the one thing, Harm, and, and in your experience now in the last couple of years covering this team, like Louis shows up. Like he shows up, he comes in in camp sh- in shape. He, he doesn't phone it in. Like you don't get the results that you know. You, you know, you don't get twenty, thirty goals, unfortunately, from Louis, and that drives everybody nuts. But, but he does show up, right? Like that's the one thing about him. Like he is as professional as you want. Like from a character guy, in terms of what you want to see somebody like. I, you know, I remember talking to Travis Green about this a couple of years ago, and it's like, yeah, like it's. Would you like more out of him? But. You know, he's he shows up like he had a good camp last year, right? Like he got, you know, he came, he would, he had a couple of games even in the playoffs where he showed up and and they needed him and he stepped up in a big way in a shutdown moment. Absolutely, I mean, when you just walk into the locker room, um, he's one of the fittest guys, just absolutely shredded. So um, every year he comes into camp ready to go, he's prepared, and um, even just from a hockey perspective. Like, let's forget the business side of things that uh, we talked about and, and sort of touched and analyzed. Um, I think he would have fared into the 23-man roster anyway, just from uh, his pure uh, abilities. I think when you look at Vancouver's right-wing depth right now, and I've made this point in the past, uh, but after having lost uh, to Foley and Levo, um, I don't think it's even out of the question that uh, Erickson could factor in and play here and there, even in the top six, as much as fans I uh, would hate to hear that because um, let's hypothetically look at a scenario where um, if Jake Vertanen doesn't work in the top six, well, then who else is going to get that uh, opportunity um, in, uh, in, in within the top two lines on the right side? Is it going to be Adam Gaudet, Jace Howerluck, Zach McEwen? There just aren't a lot of uh, attractive options there. Um, and we know the, the one player that uh, Travis Green comes back to time and time again um, is Louis Erickson, and he tends to use him in that uh, shutdown role next to Bo Horvat. That's going to play against elite top lines, and um, for that very specific spot on the second line, um, there aren't you. You need the perfect skill set there uh, defensively, possession wise. Someone like Bertanen doesn't fit because he doesn't have the two way profile. Um, even you talk about, uh, I've heard a lot of chatter about. Um, let's look at Gaudet in the top six. Shift him over to the wing. Um, Gaudet was one of the most sheltered players last year by Green. Um, would he trust him in a matchup role against elite players in, in competition? So 
Um, that's why I tend to think that Erickson, because of how skilled he is defensively, we know he's not going to offer anything offensively. Like That's pretty clear at this stage. Uh, but he gives you consistency. You know exactly what you're get, going to get from him, predictability. And because of that, um, he has been a fit. He's played a lot of minutes this past year um, next to Horvat. And it wouldn't surprise me if you got reps there again, um, especially given that the right-wing depth has been undermined by some of these losses. Harm, nice to catch up with you, sir. Nice job and uh, certainly uh, creates uh, the discussion in terms of what the options are for the Vancouver Canucks. And I think they do have options this year. It's just a question of, uh, you know, from a financial standpoint, where they want to go to. I mean, spending money hasn't been an issue from this team when it comes to uh, (laughs) right or wrong. And I know it's frustrated uh, some fans at times, but they haven't been afraid to spend money. Um, They added more with Nate Schmidt as well here uh, after we all thought we maybe, you know, Money is an issue right now for this team, but they continue to do so. Thanks very much for this, and uh, we'll look forward to Thanks, seeing uh, what you got up for us uh, later on this week. For sure. Thanks, guys. Thank you. There he is, uh, Harmon Dale from The Athletic on uh, Louis Erickson. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at a potential of $2 million difference if you put Louis Erickson into the minors. Like, there, I guess you get some form of relief on the books, but from your actual pockets, <laughs> you know, it, you could be looking at, Okay, well, we're gonna to have to pay this guy more money. Like that was like that's the one thing you you hear from veteran guys that do get sent down to the minors. Like I don't think anybody wants to be demoted when you're a veteran NHLer and you're making a big ticket, and they look at it and say, okay, we're gonna we're just gonna simply bury you in the minors. But pair, like escrow, it's not nothing, right? I mean, before it was ten no. percent of your salary or fifteen percent of your salary. Now you're looking at twenty percent this year, but. You know, you think about that. If you're making a million dollars, if escrow was 10%, that's a $100,000 difference that you're getting back into your pocket, right? 20% this year, that's 200000 And that's just on a million dollars. In Louis Erickson's case, where he's owed $4 million in total salary with the signing bonus and his actual ca- and the actual dollars for his salary this year, I mean, 20% of $4 million, that's eight hundred. dollars yeah, there's a lot of money there, and you know, I, and, and you know, people can text us six fifty like they do all the time to correct us if we're wrong. But if, if I'm, if I remember correctly, when the Canucks started in the bubble, that first game they played, up in the press box was Jake Furtan and and Louis Erickson. I'm trying to think of someone else who was up there. It might have been Mott. I'm not sure, but the point was, okay, you, you still got Jake in there. So if something goes wrong, that helps. All right, you, you're another injury. It's not the worst thing that Louis Erickson, a guy who's coming down, that you plug into the lineup because he gives you responsibility. You don't want $6 million up there, but we got to get past that, people. You say bring it to the lineup, and you're going to have as many games as you will this next season back-to-back. Then, you know what? Louis Erickson, he does not $6 million worth of value, but he's not going to hurt you. I mean, you bring him from the press box, and you pop him on a line with, uh, you know, Bo Horvat that on some nights was your best line in the playoffs, right? So, um the numbers hurt more money for Louis. If you went there, I think the HL, it might be tough for them to get going. Uh, but if you're going to have a taxi squad and that seems to make the most sense, you kind of go, well, uh, we can't get rid of that 6 million. So let's help them because there'd be a lot of teams that wouldn't have a problem with Louis Erickson being their fourth or fifth guy to come in and play. Uh, you just need to get to that spot until the contract is done. Uh, 24 minutes after 8 o'clock here on this uh, Monday morning. He's Perry Solkowski. I'm James Sabolski. Still to come, uh, Sean Connery, man, James Bond, the original Bond, passed away at the age of 90 over the weekend. And, man, did that guy love his golf. One of Canada's best golf writers found out firsthand. We'll get to that. And, Perry, you know what? 
we've actually stuck to sports for the last half hour on this show, and we still got people texting in at 650-650. Send these liberal snowflakes to their safe spaces, Donald Trump 2020. You liberals make me sick. <laughs> Even talking Louis Erickson, we're getting people pissed off. And they off. keep on chirping us with politics. We can't win on this Monday. <laughs> Oh, man. More in a moment right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 8.30 on this uh, Monday morning. James Perry hanging out with you. Hey, just a reminder, get those poppies out. Get those poppies out. Support the poppy. Um, you know, don't go to extreme lengths, but, uh, you know, don't lose your job over it. Um, but get that poppy out. And uh, it's also Movember pair, so if you start seeing people with uh, those creepy dusters, like yours truly, mm-hmm. support your Mo Bros and your Mo Sisters because it's for a great cause in support of men's health. And I feel like I, I was kind of joking the other day to somebody that. You know, it, it's almost like the last thing. Hey, you know what we need to do right now? We need to raise money to support money to help men. And it's like, well, really? In 2020? But at the same time, it's uh, three or four suicides in this country uh, are um, are men. And so we need to stop men from dying too young. And that is what the cause is uh, to support men's health, mental, physical, well-being. And that's what Movember is all about. So if you see somebody rocking a duster this month, it's for a good cause. And give them some love. Yep. And you know what? Be aware because of COVID, uh, you might have to look a little harder to find that poppy too. But uh, especially with what we have seen in the country we live in, I, I think uh, make sure you can find one. Put it on your jacket when you go outside. I don't know if you could put it on your mask. You don't put it above the heart. But look for it. You got to look for it around there too this year, right? They're not going to be able to stand outside stores and deliver it like we used to in the past. So good messages for all as we start the uh, first Monday of November. Uh, back uh, on Saturday, uh, kind of woke up to the news that Sean Connery, one of the most iconic actors of our lifetime, had passed away. And I was like, oh, no, Jimmy Malone from The Untouchables, Indiana Jones' dad, the original James Bond. No. And then you kind of, oh, yeah, wait a minute. He just turned 90 earlier this year. And you're like, OK, like 90s, a hell of a run. I feel like uh, in today's day and age, like 90s, great. You just... You look at some of these people, you just don't, like, Sean Connery was kind of old 30 years ago, Pear, right? Like, he was the yeah. sexiest man alive in his, like, and he was about 60. Like, that. Like, that's a tremendous run. Like, he kind of, he was the kind of the OG of, like, when people say, oh, hey, 40 is the new 50, or 50 is the new 60, or whatever. It's, he, yeah. He kind of seemed like the guy, right, that just commanded every room. And you go back to the Dosecchi's commercial, The World's Most Interesting Man. If you're going through that World's Most Interesting Man in the last 20 or 30 years, someone goes, Sean Connery, go, yeah, man, he could be that guy. Yeah, he just, he seemed to have that image about it in any role or any time he appeared with the accent. You're just going, oh, man, yeah, that guy's, uh, that guy's the king. That's Sean Connery. So you're right, though. He was 90. What a run we could all wish we could have. Uh, joining us on the line is uh, one of Canada's best golf writers uh, from over the last quarter century, uh, Lauren Rubenstein, who joins us here this morning. Good morning, Lauren. Hi, how you doing? I'm excellent, thank you. You Now, you've got, like, we all talk about, like, here. here's Perry and I this morning talking about, oh, man, like, I loved him in The Untouchables, or he was great in Indiana Jones, or Bond movies. But you kind of have a next-level connection 
as a great golf writer with an actor, an iconic actor at that, who also loved the sport too, didn't you? Yeah, you know, I was very fortunate to meet him back then, uh, you know, in the mid to late 90s. Uh, he had read the book I did with George Knudsen. Uh, it was George Knudsen's book, of course, on the golf swing that I helped him with. And uh, Connery read it. Chris Goodwin, who owned the Red Tail Golf Course here, uh, you know, near London, Ontario, was close friends with Connery because they both had places at uh, Lightford Key in Nassau in the Bahamas. And uh, I guess he sent, uh, he sent um, Connery my book, the book with Knudsen, and one day he called uh, to my home in Toronto, left a message that he'd really enjoyed the book. As you know, he was an avid golfer, and he had a few questions. And could I call him down there in Nassau, and we could uh, chat about the book a little bit? So I did that, and that led to a series of further encounters with him over uh, the course of a number of years. And, uh, you know, played golf with him in Spain, was a house guest of his at the Ryder Cup in Marbella in 97, he wrote the foreword to my book, uh, A Season in Dornoch, which was an account of a summer I'd spent way up there in the north of Scotland with uh, my wife, Nell, uh, and he'd been there and loved it. So, yeah, it was pretty funny how it just, uh, it was gratifying. He read the Knudsen book and enjoyed it, and one thing led to another, and before you knew it, uh, there I was sitting there having dinner with him in his uh, house on the Mediterranean in Marbella. Now, Lauren, it's, you know, in our line of work, it's always great to meet people. We meet athletes, but this would be unexpected. You weren't home when he called, and from what I read, he left a message. How many times did you play that message, and how long did you keep it on your answering machine? Well, you know, we played it a number of times, obviously, and a lot of times, and we played it for friends and family when they came over because, as you were saying, and he, I mean, he was so distinctive, and his Scottish brogue was, you know, was so so distinctive as well, and everybody knew his voice. Everybody knew him from the movies. He was, you know, kind of beyond famous, really. Uh, and uh, so, you know, we played it quite a bit, and then seven or eight months later, it was on an answering machine. There were no smartphones in, and I never bothered to record it. Just kept it on the answering machine. And then uh, one day, my wife, uh, you know, was embarrassed to tell me that she had accidentally hit seven um, oh. you know, uh, uh -oh. on the answering machine, on the, which erased the message instead of hitting nine to save it. You know, the poor woman. Every time she listened to messages, she had to listen to Connery's voice, and. Uh, you know, which was fine the first five or six times, but 50 times maybe was a bit too much. And she just accidentally hit seven, and that was it for the uh, message. But we got ah! good play out of it for seven or eight months. Nice. <laughs> Lord Rubenstein with us here on Sportsnet 650. So you, he offers you a trip to go and join him, and, like, you know, you're still in the middle of work and all that. How does that all kind of play out then? Yeah, Chris Godwin from Redtail called me in the uh, summer of 97, excuse me, and asked if I was going to the Ryder Cup, uh, which was going to be played at Sota Grande, about 40 minutes from Marbella, where Connery lived in September. And at that point, you know, I was writing for the Globe, but I hadn't really made my mind up as to whether I was going or not yet. And uh, Chris said, well, you know, if I offered you a, a business class ticket to Spain to fly over there, uh, and then on top of that, if I told you that we'd be house guests of, uh, of uh, Sean Connery and his wife Micheline for the week, uh, would that help you make a decision? So uh, I didn't wait too long before I made that decision, like in about you know a sixteenth of a second. And uh, we went there and spent the week with him there, uh, you know, dining and uh, drinking good single malt whiskey, hitting chip shots out on his uh, out in the lawn, an acre or two there, with the Mediterranean behind it, uh, and playing golf with him once at uh, Soto Grande 
in Spain, which was near the Ryder Cup course. So, uh, yeah, it was a memorable week. There was no doubt about that. I mean, you could see, I mean, when I heard that he had died uh, on, you know, woke up on Sunday morning and, and saw that, that immediately all of these memories kept flooding back to me, as I think, you know, happens when you lose people who uh, you've had some sort of relationship with. And all those came back to me, so I decided to write something. And uh, by the response it's gotten, Connery was obviously well beyond, I mean, he was a famous movie actor, but he transcended the movies and became a world figure, absolutely. But so often you hear of people like that, Lauren, you just go, at the end of the day, that was his job, and it sounds like, and you tell me, you spend a week with them, obviously a great passion for golf, um, but I'm going to say, was he just a regular guy? How was he to spend a week with someone you'd only see in on the screen and talk by the phone? Well, you know, he, he did become kind of a regular guy because I knew he, he, you know, he loved golf. He commanded the room for sure when he walked in. You know, you thought, whoa, this guy, this is Sean Connery here. Um, you know, what kind of person is, is he going to be? You know, who, who knows? Uh, but obviously the fact that he'd welcomed us into his home indicated right away he was a friendly guy and a hospitable guy, and the same for his wife, Micheline. So, you know, I quickly got past this this any kind of anxiety I would have had about meeting him and spending time with him. And then just for the week, it was just like kind of normal hanging out with somebody, although you're always aware of who he was. And, uh, you know, that yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't tell anybody at the Ryder cup of my colleagues that I was staying with him because, <laughs> you know, I mean, and he only came out there, I think once, as I recall, cause he'd be besieged by people. And, uh, um, but when we were together on the golf course or just in his home there, it was, yeah, just kind of a regular guy. You know, I've met play? a couple of other people who were in that category of super famous people beyond what they did, one of whom was Muhammad Ali. Totally by accident, I met him, and I ended up spending a fair bit of time with him one day, coincidentally enough, also down in the Bahamas when he was training for his last fight. And, you know, I grew up with Muhammad Ali watching him when he was Cassius Clay. Uh, and, uh, again, after a few minutes, he just, oh, hey, this is Ali, and he's talking to his daughter in L.A. And, um, you know, it was kind of just, and I'm interviewing him and ended up in two front-page stories in the Globe on a Saturday. So, you know, you do get over the fact that of, of their fame and super celebrity after a few minutes of just talking to them. That's amazing. The fact that, you know, when you, you have that conversation, sometimes you say, OK, who are the four people you want to have? Uh, you know, you, anybody in the world in the history, uh, name four people you want to have dinner with. You, you at least had a pretty good dinner party with Sean Connery and Muhammad Ali. Could, <laughs> could, well, could, Con we're still could Connery alive at least play, though, Lord? What's could, that? Could, could Connery at least play? Like, was he a decent, decent golfer? Yeah, you know, he got down to being a single-digit handicap. I don't know if it was six, seven, eight. I, I'd read something like that. And you could tell by his swing, even if you look on, on YouTube or whatever, you look at the finish of his swing right now, you could tell he knew what he was doing. He was athletic, obviously. And, uh, yeah, he took a lot of lessons from a number of different people. Uh, availed himself on that. He was, you know, kind of a frustrated golfer like the rest of us as his game deteriorated as he got older, but he kept trying to improve. So, um, uh, you know, he could definitely play. There's no doubt about that. He played a lot of pro-am tournaments and uh, played with a lot of a lot of top tour pros. So uh, he didn't, didn't embarrass himself. You could tell, even if he only made a few good swings a day, a few good shots a day, you could tell he knew the game. Well, Lawrence, since we have you, you've been the preeminent golf writer for a long time in this country. Uh, Ed Jovanovski joins us every Wednesday. Last week he played with Mike Weir, and we were talking about Weir. But right now, with what we have on the men's tour with Brooke Henderson, is this the greatest moment right now for Canadian golf? It's pretty good. I mean, you got four of them in the Masters next week. 
the November Masters, uh, and of course Brooke is you know standing so tall. Sandra Post was was wonderful. She won eight eight tournaments, including a major throughout her career. But Brooke is only in her early twenties, and she could win thirty tournaments. Who knows? You never like to predict these things. But every time she plays, it seems like she contends, and she's exciting to watch. And then with uh, you know on the weekend we had three guys, three Canadians uh, who aren't even among the ones uh, who were playing in the Masters who finished in the top sixteen at the uh, PGA Tour event in Bermuda. You know. Uh, David Hearn was eighth. I think Roger Sloan was fifteenth, and Mike Glickick was sixteenth. I may have those last two reversed. So that's pretty good. You know, it's definitely a good time for following Canadian golf, no doubt. Thanks, Lauren. Nice to catch up with you, and uh, thanks for sharing that story. Nice trip down memory lane uh, for a guy yeah. that uh, was a pretty much a household name for so many of us. Thanks, Lauren. All right. Thanks, guys. There he is, Lauren Rubenstein, uh, one of Canada's uh, top golf writers, uh, and uh, sharing a story that would be uh, bucket list material for anyone uh, listening this morning. Some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show next here on Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 848, sunny skies, gorgeous high of 13 degrees. This is how you start a November. Sabalski, Solkowski, ready to get on out of here. Uh, a spicy way to start on Monday. Um, Monday night or tonight, you've got the Bucks and the Giants. Uh, our poll question burning up this morning there, pair at, at Sportsnet650 on Twitter. Asking you, how do you feel about Bobby Orr, Jack Nicholas? And Brett yeah. Favre endorsing Donald Trump. Are you done with well, them? Well, normally, all normally, four James, were disappointed. Yeah, go ahead. Normal, normally, you know, we want you know loads of people to get in on it. We, if it's Canucks related, great. But considering our text line and how political it's been in this question, over twelve hundred people in, and I'm just surprised people are done with Bobby Orr. Fifty percent of them done with Bobby Orr uh, because of him coming out and uh, endorsing Trump. Twenty percent all for it. And 28% disappointed, but still love them. 29, I guess, if we round that up. Um, kind of surprised with the number that it'd be 50. I mean, I, I, it doesn't change how Bobby Orr played. And I'm not surprised. As we said, you get to a certain age group and, and demographic, uh, they would be supporters. It is going to be, listen, there's there's no sports. we got a Monday nighter tonight with a Trump supporter quarterback, right? essentially in Tom Brady. Um, and then tomorrow it's all about the election and the fallout and how it plays. And it will be for an awful long time. Yeah. Um, just fascinating to kind of see it. And Hey man, and, and in fairness, like on this side of the border, Trump's got his supporters too, based on what we've seen in our text line this morning. Uh, I for do sure. want to hit on this here before we kind of get out out of here, pair. Um, the Whitecaps suffered uh, a 1-0 defeat at the hands of Portland last night. So the, the Whitecaps essentially need a miracle. they got to hope that MLS is uh, – they're basically at the mercy of what MLS ultimately decides right now, whether there's going to be another game played um, for Colorado and LA. LA. Uh, it's based on points per game. they got to catch uh, San Jose as well. Um, it, it's a total long shot, but – there's a great uh, a great tweet by hard journalist uh, on, on Twitter uh, in the last 12 hours. In nine away matches since the MLS has resumed, the Whitecaps have won a single game. They've lost eight. 
They've scored three goals. They've been shut out in seven of those nine road matches and outscored 21-3 overall. It's it's ugly. It has been a massive misstep and a disaster this season. I mean, this has been a, a unique year. Obviously, they're not able to play at home either. But like the Mark DeSantos experiment, the numbers would tell you this has been an unmitigated disaster. I was speaking with someone in the Whitecaps organization this weekend, and the numbers and all that show you these guys have been sitting in a hotel room in Portland for, geez, almost a couple months. So the the one thing is they get to play that card. And if you go by the numbers and how this team has progressed, Mark DeSantos' job should be in jeopardy. I wouldn't put it in jeopardy because it's been such an anomaly. How can you play? You're in Portland. You're not at home. These guys have been away from their family for a long time. So they will get a break. I think that's how the ownerships will look at them and go, it's just impossible to say how this team would have fared in normal circumstances. But Mark DeSanto should be on a short leash, and this team has to get better, and uh, we'll wait for it to happen. But the numbers haven't been good. But I will say also, this is a this is a team that's been away from home for a long time, and that has to have some effect in it. You would fly into Los Angeles on game day, go play, then fly home. That's tough. That's tough to deal with. It doesn't move the meter, pair. It just and the the, the danger for the Whitecaps now is apathy, right? Like, does anybody pay attention? Does it move the meter at all? This this was there was so much excitement. This is ten years in the game here now, and and to sit there and be this, this franchise should be way more relevant than they are. Like they should oh, own sure. the summer months. Like that place yeah. should be rocking. And obviously this year is different. But man, like you look like you look at your comparables. Look just a couple of hours south, right? Look at Seattle. Look at Portland. Year after year after year, they're near the top of the West, right? Consistently. You know, there's your comparables, right? The Cascadian Cup. Or if you want to look east and look at what's going on in Toronto. I mean, it, it took Toronto a while, but man, like they've got it right the last five years. At some point, like this this should be a bigger, way bigger fish than it has been in the 10 years that they've been around in MLS here in Vancouver. And it sucks. I won't disagree with you. If you would have taken this their first year in 2011, you would have saw the, the chart would have been progressing the right way, starting to climb, starting to climb 2015, 2016, and it's been a serious dip for the last three years. I, you know, I will not argue that at all, and I think they need to reset just like fans are waiting for the BC Lions to reset because of what's happened with the passing of David Braley. You go, okay, when someone comes in here, are you going to do it differently? The white caps have to do it differently to get people engaged again when our world's back to the new normal. We got to get out of here. The Scott Rintoul show coming your way at the top of the clock. We're not sticking to sports people. No, it's just, it's sports is just interwoven with what the real world is going on. And we'll probably discuss it again tomorrow right here on Sportsnet 650.